007, Australia's only James Bond podcast, well, the only one that is at least recorded that we know about, and if there are others that have been recorded and released, let us know so we can change our opening uh, subtitle there. But we are back for another movie recap. We are into, not only is this episode 17 of Double Oz 7, this is the 12th movie, the 1981 movie for your eyes only. We're into the 80s, the hair is getting bigger, the clothes are getting worse, the cell phone is about to come out, there are stuff happening, there's all a bunch of things, Michael Jackson somewhere, Madonna somewhere, actually no, she's not around for about another 21 years in the James Bond universe, but it doesn't matter because we've got Sheena Easton in this movie, at least, anyway. Anyway, uh, my name is Ben, and my uncle Aris also thinks I'm a virgin. <laughs> and uh, I'm Colin, and courage is no match for an unfriendly shoe. <laughs> um, I'm Noah, and I too have been slapped by Margaret Thatcher and the kid. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're uh, being quite revealing this episode. Um, this episode, which of course is for your ease only. That would have been the logical one to open with, Ben, but um, clearly I wasn't... Uh, Want to steal any more jokes? (laughs) Instead, we had to learn about your virginity. Well, you've learned about me underwater before, so, um, you know, just just keeping... Don't mention the bars! (laughs) Um, (laughs) Your eyes only, though. We're getting very close to the pointy end of uh, Mr. Moore's Bond career. His uh, third last outing as our favourite Commander James Bond. This is a, an interesting movie. I've always had high opinions of this film and uh, been a few years since I'd watched this one. I think this is one of the Roger Moore ones that I've seen the most and I enjoyed this rewatch. Might have vaulted a little bit ahead of what I remembered it. I think it's a very good film and I think a lot of it stands up uh, to this day. A lot of it doesn't stand up to this day and there are lots of good and bad things about it. But um, yeah, I I think really when it came to this rewatch... I learnt a lot and, um, yeah, probably slightly improved my opinion of it. I'm not sure about you, gentlemen. Well, I always love this movie, too. It was one of the last James Bond movies I got around to watching. And um, at the time when I saw this, it was like there was universal love for Fear Eyes only. And in the years since, I've noticed that the reputation for it slipped a little bit. In some areas, every time I rewatch this movie, I can see why, because I think particularly in the first half of the movie, it's very random and not very focused. But the second half of this movie is just so strong. And overall, it's just such a welcome change in pace from uh, the campiness of the 70s, the over the top uh, uh, Moonraker pigeon (laughs) double takes and... uh, the movie manages to be funny still, but it manages to be really serious. And, you know, Roger Moore, again, doesn't get nearly enough credit for how he can pull off some dramatic scenes. 
Um, I love this movie, and I don't think my opinion ever really has changed on this. I, I can always see some issues, but I, I think that it's just such a strong movie. I'm really excited to cover this one. Uh, yeah, this is kind of a fan favorite one, and it's not one that I've always loved so much. Um, I think I referred to it as a Panama in the past. Um, I've always just enjoyed it, but like it's never been up there for me because I think there are so many issues with it. And maybe not even issues, just more so decisions and writing, I guess. Um, but there is definitely a lot of enjoyable moments in this film. Like I can always put this on and enjoy the film. But I kind of think doing this rewatch, taking special note, taking notes um, and all that jazz has kind of even lowered it for me, perhaps. Uh, maybe that will change after a two-and-a-half to three-hour discussion on it. Um, strap in. But... <laughs> Yeah, it's always just been that kind of middle one for me. I've got positive and a lot of negative things to say about it, but it is still a good James Bond film. Well, uh, Colin brought up, of course, um, we're stepping away from a slightly uh, interesting movie called Moonraker and um, being brought back to Earth, so to speak. And um, it's something that I know we've discussed quite a lot, really, with, I guess, the three main Bond films that people often say go way OTT, um, You Only Live Twice, Moonraker and die another day the f- the film that follows it directly afterwards is generally quite a uh, a more serious uh, approach to it obviously calm things down and uh considering with moonraker they could have like made this into like james bond like has a nice walk in the park or james bond reads a book for two hours and you know they still would have been um a whole lot different to moonraker but um of course the 80s we should um obviously point out uh the only decade obviously if we're not counting never say never again which uh, we really shouldn't uh the only decade where we get the one director directing every single film for the entire decade. Well, maybe with the exception of the 2010s, because technically we've had two films and only the one director. But um, I want to ask quickly, maybe so more Colin with you, because I know obviously you pay a lot of attention to kind of the directorial sides of things. I mean, do you think having the one director for a series of movies across a decade is a good thing when it comes to something like James Bond, or do you think it's a bad thing? Um, I think, well, what we see with John Glenn, and again, we'll get into this a lot throughout the 80s, is, you know, he does adapt to the, the two actors well. So I would think that having, you know, a director associated with one actor usually tends to work out better. Uh, I think Guy Hamilton was great for Sean Connery, not so good for Roger Moore. Uh, but giving the movie a little bit of consistency, I mean, they always had the same directors kind of over and over again you know we, we went through the pierce brosnan era and the daniel craigs where it's a new one every time but if you look at uh you know the original movies it may flip-flop but you had terrence young guy hamilton lewis gilbert and that was it pretty much i think bringing john glenn in he had an idea to make james bond more serious um I don't think this is something that every director can do because uh, a lot of them, like Lewis Gilbert, will just make the same movie over and over again. I think it was having John Glenn, a guy who'd been already involved in the movie series for so long, kind of like Peter Hunt was, where he knew how to handle one thing differently. So when we get into Octopussy and A View to a Kill, where it is a little bit more over the top, he can still handle that. So I think more than anything, John Glenn was maybe just the right guy to handle an entire decade. And can I just quickly point out, we are talking about John Glenn, the director not the first... Uh, not the astronaut. Not the astronaut. Like, he was, what, the first guy to uh, go on a spacewalk or something? Or 
That's John McDonald. First one to orbit. First one to orbit, right. Okay. Well, American. American, right. American. He, um, he was the guy who got sucked in by the the ship at the beginning of You Only Live Twice. That was so. the other John. Right, okay, good. I just wanted to clear that up in case... John Glenn and Top got, got a great bunch of space fans listening to this going, What? John Glenn? Um, did Neil Armstrong direct movies as well? Like, uh, it was a uh, second unit director, I believe, on um, on a Majesty's Secret Service spy, Love Me and Moonraker. Um, so, of course, now he gets his hand at doing this. No, did you have anything to add? And then I, I feel like you didn't really have a say there, and I interrupted you. I apologise. I'm not a massive John Glenn fan as a director. I think he made some good decisions. I think a lot of these changes in the 80s films would definitely have a distinct feel that aren't just 80s movies. Like They feel like a collection of Bond films. I always call this the second Roger Moore trilogy. They feel quite similar, uh, this octopus in View to a Kill. Um, yeah, I feel like some of... He wanted to bring it back home and a lot of the decisions were his, as in the pre-title sequence, which we'll get to, I believe, um, and just some changes. And not all of them I'm a fan of, but he has done some good work but let's all remember that he was responsible for pitch and double take so i'll just leave it at that (laughs) which isn't a good track record leading into the opening um sequence of this film because if um we want to discuss a pre-title sequence that is 100 percent different from the movie we're about to watch then let's talk about For Your Eyes Only. Now, now you brought this up, I think, in our very first episode that you like um, the pre-title sequence to be completely different, no plot um, connections to the film. I was about to get angry for, about what you were about to say, but yeah, go on. Yes, um, and we have this um, completely with this one. Now, um, we see James Bond, of course, at the grave of his um, dearly departed wife of uh, at least 12 years ago. Tracy, um, he's been busy, James. It's taken him 12 years to <laughs> come to the grave. Um, I wanted next to the grave all the other dead girls. Rosie Carver. No, not Rosie Carver. She can just rot. Um, Plenty O'Toole died at a pedophile. <laughs> It was just the entire, well, the entire graveyard he was at was just... All of them. He owns the graveyard. <laughs> That's in his backyard. That's not just... Quarrel. <laughs> ah! Still burning smoke coming from the grave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then we see a helicopter arrive um, saying he's got to bring him back to uh, MI6. Like, even MI6 are bastards. Like, they can't let James Bond mourn for a couple of minutes. Like... No, but um, all of a sudden we uh, see the dearly pilot of uh, this helicopter get electrocuted and uh, somebody on the speaker. Who is it? Oh, it's Blofeld. Oh, sorry. No, it's not. It's um, bald guy in wheelchair. Blofeld. Uh, Blofeld. Because <laughs> we're not allowed to use his name because they're still... It's Christoph Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> there are contract issues, but yeah, we get this fascinating sequence of... Um, <laughs> Bald man in wheelchair and random cat um, toying with Bond in the helicopter, flying through a factory, laughing. Oh, it's, you know, a laugh a minute. And then Bond finally works his way, controlling the helicopter. We know that's a fact because the cat hisses. Um, And then we get our first real taste of 80s music. Hello, 80s. And um, then we get James Bond getting the helicopter, picking up bald man in wheelchair with cat and dropping him down a chimney stack. Now... As an opening title sequence, 
What the hell can we say about this? <laughs> um, I think I might be in the minority here, but I actually really like the pre-title scene. Oh, oh God. <laughs> it, it is ridiculous, uh, but let's not forget that somebody here put Diamonds Are Forever at number one for a while on their list. It's a wow. it's a fun start to the movie. Yeah, it's you know pretty confusing. Is it Blofeld or not? I mean, the character doesn't seem to fit him at all. You know, he has really bad one liners like "I trust you had a pleasant fright" was a nice one, and <laughs> of course, there's the whole uh, "I'll buy you a delicatessen and stainless steel." Uh, <laughs> You really do get the impression that this entire pre-title scene was just a way to take a shot at uh, uh, certain people. I- I'm surprised they didn't bill the bald man as Kevin M or K. McClory <laughs> in the credits. Um, Once but, again, we're blaming Kevin McClory. McClory! Yeah. It always comes down to McClory. Um, but, like, this is cool. We have Tracy's grave in there, and... We have some type of closure for Blofeld, although I always like to pretend it's just, you know, somebody else maybe pretending to be Blofeld. It's a Blofeld. There's a big one cushion of many... down the bottom of that smoke. So. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there's a lot of Blofeld imposters out there, I think. Sadly, his constantly... pussy is long gone. Though. No. <laughs> but, I mean, there's some there's some great stunts in here. The helicopter stuff's good. And it, you kind of do have to take this one with a grain of salt and just, you know, pretend that... Uh, you don't know all the inside jokes or, well, of course, nobody knows the inside jokes. We have to ignore all the weird inside jokes that are clearly in here, like the delicatessen joke and the fact that this is Blofeld, you know, and just have fun with the, the great helicopter stunts. I mean, we have a guy hanging on the side of a helicopter. If this were at the beginning of Spy Who Loved Me and it didn't associate with Blofeld at all, then everybody would be loving this. Well... Maybe. Um, <laughs> he is in like this massive Stephen Hawking wheelchair thing that looks ridiculous <laughs> hanging off the side of it. And the overdub is just Nicky Van der Zyl was not on par during that song. <laughs> it just sounds so stupid. Mr. Bart! Oh, don't even get me started. I'm such a hypocrite because I keep preaching about these pre title secrets not related to the film at all. And then we get one. Um, and it sucks. I really don't <laughs> like it. Um, like, what a coincidence. He's happening to be visiting Tracy's grave. Um, oh, Blofeld. I, I get why they had to do it like that, but it's just like the one time he's at a grave, Blofeld shows up. Um, and then it's such like if we thought Diamonds Are Forever was an anticlimactic end to Blofeld, this is down a, a chimney sweep. Mr. Bond! <laughs> it's just... Oh, Roger Moore films get bad reputation for being too silly. Um, I think this deserves a bad reputation. I, um, yeah, I love that this, the whole Tracy thing, um, this proves that this is the same Bond and not a different character, which some people say. Um, and it's kind of a good extension on The Spy Love Me. So that was really fun. But, yeah, the whole Blofeld stuff doesn't do it. The location is not, like, thrilling at all. Um, I, the helicopter stuff's kind of impressing. Uh, yeah, but it's just silly. The overdub's bad. Roger Moore doesn't seem that um, up to speed with it. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of it. And this is one thing I think is a John Glenn invention of let's bring Bond back to the, his origins a bit more. And, sadly, I don't think it works this time. Well, it is the last time we see Blofeld. 
um, in the or is it? Well, well, uh, the official canon of find out in four weeks. <laughs> James Bond. Um, I will agree with Colin on one point. It's good that we kind of get this little moment with him in the grave, even though it's not Lazenby. It's more. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean that's sweet. Um, again, though, it did take twelve years, but um, you know, obviously, we didn't have that straight into Diamonds Are Forever, but. Um, Yes, um, bye-bye, Mr. Blow. Why is he randomly visiting her in 1981? Um, like, is Draco still around? <laughs> I don't think you stop visiting a grave when your wife is killed in your arms. <laughs> yes, like, well, after about 11 years, it's too much. Year mark, and that's when you got to cut it out. You should have moved on. Uh, he woke up one morning, he's like, it's Sunday. I usually visit Tracy's grave, but I think I'm over that now. I'm going to stay in well, bed. Well, you say that, but he's no hesitant to uh, bang every other woman that he meets by bar BB, so... It's, it's cold <laughs> morning, Noah. He's got to get her out of his system, okay? He's got to bang at least 8,900 yeah. women before he forgets Tracy, so... Good morning. Yes. Um... We know if either of us die, Noah will never visit our grave. <laughs> Like, it's been like three weeks, guys. This is just inappropriate now. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be podcasting with people like the day after. <laughs> <laughs> you join James Bond Hello, Radio Cable. or something Welcome like that. Oh, I'm sick of them. Oh, they're dead. I can move on now. Double <laughs> or seven with Cable Brandon and Catherine <laughs> Lee. Oh, no. Uh, um... <laughs> Oh, anyway, um, I, I, it's already started. I did like the line though uh, when he says, "Keep your hair on." Uh, <laughs> that's that's uh, probably my favourite one line from the sequence. Um, we get the weird James Bond stare, which then goes into um, our dear friend Sheena, um, who uh, into the opening title sequence. Now, look, I praise the heck out of the 1970s. I think it's the best decade by far. Um, look, we lost it in Moonraker. I kind of then said it, it's pretty bad for this one, but then it goes up a little bit. I, I will defend for your eyes only slightly. Um, but the opening title sequence, the only ever time we've ever had the um, actual singer in the opening title sequence, and guess until we see Sam Smith, like, cutting his arms or something like that. Um, uh, <laughs> wait until see Spectre. Um, but, yeah, it's maybe a little bit of improvement on some of the 70s. I mean, we get women grabbing guns and sliding and swimming down and lots of barrels and fish and looking it's at bones. No naked superwoman on no, a glittery no, ball. It's not. <laughs> um, my biggest question here is Sheena Easton nude? Because there's like a bit there where she's like leaning over and I don't know if she's like trying to be suggestive. Like, ooh, am I nude? Ooh, Sheena. Um, but, um, yeah, look, I, I think it's an improvement, honestly, on um, some of the other title sequences. And yeah, the song itself, like, it's pretty shit. It's like a bottom... T- Five bottom ten James Bond song, but it's it's one that I still can listen to. Like if it's sort of I've got the Bond songs on shuffle, I'm not going to be hearing like ah, it's all time high. Like it's you know, it's, ah, another day. <laughs> something that I can still kind of listen to, and it's got the music, the start of it, the like I don't know. I like how that starts, but um, yeah, still bottom ten, but a little bit better than I think some people give the song credit for. Um, I'll start with the song. I, I I remember saying with the man with the golden gun that that was kind of like a guilty pleasure for me. This is my other guilty pleasure for Bond songs. I absolutely love this song, and I'm not even sure why because 
it doesn't really sound like a Bond song. It sounds like a really cheesy 80s ballad. Um, but so- somehow the song works, I think. And I know I'm going to be in the minority on that one. But uh, I absolutely love the song. And not only will you know I listen to this if it comes up on you know my James Bond playlist shuffle, but I'll probably play it two or three times in a row because I just really love the song. Wow. The the pre-title or the actual title sequence, I don't. I still think we're in the period where it's not really working. I don't really think any of the title sequences in the '80s are that great. Um, this one I think could have been a lot better, but having Sheena Easton in the credits singing, it's it's a cool little novelty. But at the same time, it really distracts you from everything else that's going on. So. Uh, I'm not really sure that uh, that's something they ever need to do again. So if, you know, right now they are putting Sam Smith uh, wailing and crying in the middle of... Uh, Hopefully the he's got clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> if, Sam Smith, if Sam Smith is going to be in it, please let him be clothed. Um, that's that cutting for I am surprised, that. though. <laughs> I am surprised, though, Ben, that you uh, that you were asking us if Sheena was nude in it. Because <laughs> when I was watching this, I'm thinking, like, if she is, Ben's probably freeze frame right now. So, you you, you bought the Blu-ray back. set. This was the first one you watched on Blu-ray. You should know now. Well, I just wanted to act dumb, fellas. Like, I mean, you know, I've, I've clearly got it on my wallpaper on my phone. Nude Sheena Easton. Um. Yeah, it's, it's no honey bodysuit. Um. <laughs> she wasn't flying with, like, colours on her, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, were you done, Colin? Sorry, I didn't yeah. want to butt in. Um yeah, the title sequence does not do it for me. It's like they're going for the water thing again. I think Thunderball does it better. But this is coming off Spy Love Me, which was just so good. Um, and it's kind of devolving. I would argue that Naked Superwoman's also better than this. Um, so that's sad that they're kind of going down a bit. And Octopussy won't be overly impressive mm-hmm. either. Uh, never say never again. Uh, I'll get back to you on that one. Um the song, I can't defend it too much. I don't listen to it three times in a row when it comes up. Um, Do it now. <laughs> it's, I, I will defend it in the sense that it's better than the next one yes. and it's better than the previous one. Yes. And I also think it works really well in the underwater scenes when he meets up with Melina, um, like the instrumental version of it. I think that works really well. So that's my slight defense, but I can't defend it overly. It's pretty bad. Um, don't know what Sheen is doing there in the credits. I'm not sure if, she, if they even knew that was Sheena Easton or if they thought they were just hiring a generic naked woman for like they always do. Um, so, although still would have been a better Bond girl than Melina, but we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, this song always bugs me because she's worse than James Bond. Uh, like she's slutting around and playing with him. Um, I, I can't stand it. The, the lyric that gets me every time is, maybe I'm an open book because I know you're mine, but you won't ha- need to read between the lines. Like, so she's just slutting around because she knows that he'll always come back to her? Like, Sheena. Um, Even Joe's Bond turned down BB. <laughs> He's visiting the grave of his dead wife. Get out of bed with Columbo. Um, well, this actually um, was her co-second biggest hit she ever had. Um, this alongside her 1980 classic, Modern Girl. 
um, but was only beaten uh, yeah. by that one we all know and love, 9 to 5 Morning Train, um, which went to number three oh, in the UK, course, number yeah. one in the US, number one in Canada. Um, I, I listened to it C. three or four times when it comes up on Shuffle. <laughs> on a morning train. Yeah, that was going through Station C, 1981. Yeah, well, love Fury Eyes only peaked at number eight in the UK, uh, at number five in Canada, number six in Australia. More importantly, it went to number one in both Norway and the Netherlands. Um, and it went to number four in the US. So, um, who's your floor? <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I'm glad you pointed out the lyrics because, yes, um, oh. I, I also quite like the, you can see so much in me, so much in me that's new. I never felt until I looked at you. Like, um, so what's in her that's new that she never felt until. Is she a doctor or something? Was <laughs> she crippled? Uh, very, you know, openly suggestive lines. But, um, you know, she's trying, Sheena, all right? You know, it's for her eyes only. Good on you, Sheena. She's... Well, she says for your eyes only, but then she says she's an open book. <laughs> She's like, getting over a dead husband. Sheena. She's got getting over a dead husband, just like James Bond's getting over his dead wife. She needs a lot. Oh, of this, she's not Anya. <laughs> I think Sheena Easter needs to take a good hard look at her. Um, Scottish, she is too, and of course uh, we would get oh, another Scottish female singer coming up in about eighteen years' time. So. Uh, well, you can fast forward to that one if we've already recorded it. Anyway, so that's Sheena. That's for your eyes only. Um, <sighs> no, it's happy. Uh, we now cross. We're on. We're on the water again. We're off the coast of Albania. We all want to be there. This is where we've all dreamed of being. I know. I'm planning my holiday to Albania for my honeymoon. Just Still like, better than Kentucky. Just like Colin did for um for the Bahamas. But uh, we've got the St George's. Um, a lovely looking um. Normal fishing boat, but oh no, it's got British people on it, and they're like doing spy things, and they've got this big ass computer called the ATAC, <laughs> the Automatic Targeting and Attack Communicator. Gee, they don't want to keep that secret. What it actually does? Communicator with a K, or is it, uh, <laughs> no? It must be ATAC with a C. I've always assumed K. No, it's a C. It is. It's A T A C. I love the, the fact- British were quite hip in the eighties. Well, I love the fact that you know if they're trying to be secret with this, like okay, then guys. Like, we're going to create this thing. It's really secret. We don't want people to get it. It's called the ATAC. What does it stand for? Oh, well, it's the Automatic Targeting and Attack Communicator, of course. Like, well, what does that do? <laughs> oh, oh, it targets and attacks. Oh, thanks, Captain. ATAC. It's almost ATAC? as good as Spectre. ATAC. Like, oh, people mustn't know what we do. Um, but, yeah, so we're, we're seeing it. It's all normal. They're having doing their British things, and the, the net brings in... Um, the next big catch and oh no there's a mine on it and it explodes and everybody's going oh we're dying I'm waiting for a merry scream to come out there we get the classic British line of what the devil is that uh, <laughs> I'd really like to be in a room with British people getting blown up to see if they're so like oh oh Mildred oh shit um, and of course the one way of um, stopping this is to press one button but lo and behold someone's handcu- um, handcuffed to it um, so <laughs> this is really the safest way of keeping this thing. Like, all right, George, you're on ATAC duty. Oh, what do you want me to do? Handcuff yourself to it. Like, why? Uh, we thought Moonraker was still. <laughs> <laughs> They're on a freaking boat. Haven't they seen the Titanic? Suddenly, when you start talking about this film out loud, um, yeah, I don't know. We, need, we needed Rose to come in with an axe and, like,. Chop it up so, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is, like, safe. Like, why? No wonder he can't press the button. Um, 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop at this bit before we get to see. Um, we cut to M's temporary office. <laughs> M, stop there. But um, this sets it up. We think it's an accident. It looks like an accident. Spoiler alert: it's not really an accident. But um, yeah, it sounds a bit outlandish now that we're talking about it a bit loud. Yeah, I I think that the sequence really works uh, for the most part. Uh, I didn't even really think about the handcuffing thing until you mentioned it, but. Like, <laughs> Really, I, I understand the purpose. You know, they do this often in, with other things like governments will. They'll handcuff people to a device. And the whole purpose is, okay, well, you know, they, they can't separate themselves from it. They can't run away from it. But, yeah, they are in the middle of the ocean. So what is he going to do? Is he going to grab the ATAC, try to run, and then jump in the water? And then it's like, oh, he's in the water now. We'll never catch him in a boat. Um, <laughs> other than that, I think that the action scene, the sinking itself is a fantastic uh, action scene. I love the sinking. I think that it tops even the sinking of Atlantis in uh, Spy Who Loved Me. Um, and just the idea that we have this hidden command center on a fishing boat, such a neat idea. I think if this were a Lewis Gilbert movie, this would have been part of the pre-title series of events. And I always get confused with that because whenever I think about this movie, I assume this is what happens before Bonds at the Graveyard. And I'm always wrong because we just came off of who knows how many movies doing that. And it just, it works so much better introducing the plot after the title sequence. Um, you know, following this, we also had uh, a really quick scene, which uh, I'm not sure if anybody else is going to cover, but uh, where general Gogol comes back and uh, we get to see him as a little bit of a stud. <laughs> Gogol's always in bed with a woman. Um, just wanted to cover that really quickly that there's not much to talk about here uh, outside of the, the sinking, which is a great sequence, but uh yeah, I love Gogol coming back, and Gogol always... Go, every time Gogol appears, he should be in bed with a woman, I think. Well, just quickly, no, I'll jump in there. If you want to talk about, yeah, the whole Tanner thing, because, yeah, probably I should have grouped it all together. There's not a whole lot to add. Obviously, we don't have M. Sadly, of course, we've already discussed that, um, why Bernard Lee's not there. Um, but we have Bill Tanner, of course, instead. He's informed of the incident. Shocking news, Minister! And then we find out that, sadly, it's not deep enough, um, the water, where it is. So, ooh, what's going to happen? The Soviet's going to get it. And, yes, exactly, you mentioned google goggle and yes he's with a lady and um yeah so please no i talk about that scene as well group it all in with it together um yeah that handcuff thing i think that's just some sort of uh weird atec fetish or something like that um <laughs> 50 shades of like, oh hand me handcuff me to the atec now <laughs> like some sort of weird thing going on on that ship or something <laughs> That's what Gogo role plays with his girl in bed. It's like now I'm gonna handcuff you to the attack. Handcuff oh, me yes. to the attack, there, Mildred. It's gonna blow. Are we talking about the attack? <laughs> yeah. Uh, other than that, just exposition. Um, Gogo is always good value. Um, I think it would have been better if he was in bed with BB, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Gogo a bit more later on in this film, I'm sure, but. Yeah, just exposition here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted by BB. Um, now, we learn, of course, um, about a certain person called Tim Havelock, um, and we then cut to them uh, as the Havelocks are on a boat, and they're searching for it, they're searching for the St. George, and we see the plane. Oh, it's so beautiful, it's happy, everyone's flying, and we get to meet Melina. Is it Melina? Melina? Am I... Melina. Melina, right. Good. Mustache. Mustache. <laughs> Mustache. 
We meet Mustasha. Edit that out. Uh, Edit that out. <laughs> Poor Mustasha. Edit boy. No, never. Mustasha's staying in there now. <laughs> <laughs> we meet Mustasha. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get to know no, her a little this bit. This not be a trick. Um, she's on the boat. She meets a parent. She loves her parents, and the parents love her. It's so sweet. <laughs> it's just it's just such a beautiful scene. Nothing there. He could go wrong at all. It's just normal. And, oh, what's that plane doing? It's flying back towards us. Oh, that's a bit unusual. Let's stare at it. Oh, it's getting closer. Oh, it's got guns. Oh, no, everyone's dead. Um, which is just like, why is this pilot flying her? And he's all just like, how does the exchange go? Oh, can you fly me to my parents? Sure, Mustasha. Um, you know, like, <laughs> he just crashed the plane into the boat? And the daughter's dead. Well, he doesn't want to die. <laughs> What's his game plan then? He's going to die eventually. The <laughs> this isn't like a suicide mission, like a kamikaze pilot. I'm sure he's got an ejector seat. If they can put an ejector seat in Aston Martin, I'm sure they can put one in like a plane in the Albanian <laughs> Ocean. Where's he going to get ejected to into the burning boat fire? <laughs> You're talking about going a little bit over the top. You have just turned this movie into Moonraker with one suggestion, Ben. I'm just thinking outside the box. Moonraker's destroyed Bond for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, imagine if this bit was in space. Um, (laughs) What's very sad, like, you know... A moustache has lost a beard. I can't stop calling it moustache. (laughs) Oh, we're going to get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't even know what to say oh. I blame Noah Anyway, yes, it's so sad The Havelocks are dead um, they're, they're covered in red paint Oh, sorry, blood um, Melina's unharmed <laughs> <laughs> But of course she has that look on her face That look of revenge She could be one-fifth of Spectre Based on that pure look um, I mean, this Either sets... that or someone just farted <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, for somebody like, you know, like this is this movie's starting off pretty like, you know, we've had James Bond mourning somebody dead. We've had Sheena like <laughs> slutting up to Bond. We've had the boat sinking and everyone, ah, handcuffed to a, a A-Tech. And now we've got Mustasha with a red paint covered family. Melina. <laughs> Melina. Um, although, I mean, look, it's, it's a great sequence, <laughs> not because people are dying. But, like, just how it's shot and we get evil pilot man and, yeah. And we, we do meet a very key person on this film whose name is Melina. Um, yeah, I, I just want to point out that Ben did something there that we need to do for every single major action scene, which is he, he vocally mimed everything that happened. Like, <laughs> what is that? It's an airplane. It's coming for us. Ah! Like, uh... <laughs> Gee, that was good machine gunning. That was great machine gunning. Wow, Colin, good job. We've got to uh, turn this into a 1930s uh, radio party. Yeah, exactly. Well, looked up at the sky. The plane was returning. Melita's parents are dead. She has a sign of revenge. A look at her face of despair, or maybe someone passed wind. <laughs> Next scene, James Bond enters an office. <laughs> Is there anything else to add in all seriousness? I'm not even sure. Uh, <laughs> Only we can make the death of parents, like, funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most serious James Bond has been in, I don't know, a decade and, and a half. And Ben's just <laughs> turned this into a farce. I blame it on uh, 
Well, I was about to say the death of Bernard Lee, but that's a bit heavy. I, I blame it on M being on leave because it's really left us uh, unfocused here. Yeah, uh, Bernard Lee is the one who who gave us our uh, it's the relief uh, teacher. You know here. when you get a relief teacher and, and you're being silly. Oh, <laughs> uh, not Mr. Tanner. Uh, Mr. Tanner. Oh, <laughs> uh, let me try to focus here for a second. Um. Uh, what were we talking about? Yeah, the death of the Avalox. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this It's so sad because this scene is so good and it's so uh, serious and dramatic and tragic and you end off with Melina's crazy eye stare. <laughs> the This is taken like directly... I, I don't think this sequence itself was in the short story For Your Eyes Only, but I liked in this movie that we are getting very much back to Ian Fleming's material. And, uh, you know, I would argue, even though this movie is pretty much juggling two separate short stories and then the other third of the movie is all original stuff. Uh, they do a good job staying true to the stories with the idea of the Havelocks being murdered and Melina, uh, or Mustacha. <laughs> Revenge. Mission. <laughs> oh. This could not become... No one needs to learn to keep his mouth shut between singing and getting segments created after him to come up with new character names. <laughs> this is oh, this is way too many edit points now, so this is past the point of no return. Mustache is on the Fear Eyes Only train. Um, We're just going to hear censored beat. Beep! <laughs> um... But no, I mean, the sequence is handled so respectfully and John Glenn has a, a good style with it. And I, I like the the plane just flying overhead, the, the long wait where it's coming towards them. Like, it all plays so well. This is something we haven't seen in a long time in James Bond, you know, with the exception of maybe a couple of sequences in Spy Love Me. Something that's just handled artistically very well. Uh, so John Glenn, you know, he's been waiting for his call up to be director for a long time and uh, he handled it well with his first real dramatic scene. Yeah, the death of Mr. and Mrs. Havelock. Um, uh, well, Colin, you mentioned the short story, and I believe, I could be mistaken, but I believe uh, it's another Canadian cock tease because I believe that that short story is set in Canada. But once again, Station Ship C is getting shafted. Um, no pun intended. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, straight faced. Any, I think anytime this... Noah says something and wants it to get edited, we just need to drop one. <laughs> mustache, 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 just so there's no chance of editing. I think this scene could have had more impact um, because it's like, oh, hello, Dad. <laughs> Dyer, dead. I'm like, not as good oh, as Colin's machine was gun. gun. Yeah, no, not quite. Um, it's like, that was her dad? Uh, like,. It would have been good if we got... I know there wasn't time in the film, although I would argue you could cut a lot of this film out, but um, it would have been good if we got a bit more relationship with them rather than them meeting up and then death straight away. Um, But I love that there's this backstory with this character and that we actually get to see it. I think it's glorious, but uh, it's one of Bond's most wasted opportunities ever by having Mustacha slash Melina um, being the Bond girl. Like, this is arguably some of the biggest backstory and plot line. I mean, she's even got her own signature weapon, which is awesome, like Honey Rider. But Melina is just oh, easily one of the worst Bond girls, in my opinion. She's got 
no charisma. Um, I don't want to get too mean to towards the actress, but I don't think she's an overly great actress. I don't think the role is written overly well compared to how much backstory she has. So I really like this death scene, but it's, it's just so much wasted potential here for what Melina could have easily been a top five Bond girl with all that's going on during this film. So I like it, but I'm also upset about what really happened here. I I agree with a lot of what you said, but I also don't think she's as bad as you point her out. I think she's beautiful. Can I point that out? I think she's gorgeous, moustache or not. Like, she is amazing. Um, and, yeah, she's not the most charismatic, you know. She's no Plenty O'Toole, and she's no BB. But, like, she's still... There's just something about... Like, I think the... Mm, the I think there's nothing. The charisma between her and Roger Moore is about a thousand times better than <laughs> frickin' Goodhead. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they've got no career oh, um, no. chemistry. Well, it's funny, actually. Carol Bouquet. Bouquet, residence, lady of the house speaking. Um, she, aud- <laughs> <That's bucket. laughs> she auditioned for the role of Holly Goodhead. Um, so she was unsuccessful, clearly. So they kept her on, kind of like they do with so, Bond. Let's get a reject <laughs> for our next Bond. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I've always kind of held her up highly just because I'm very attracted to her. I just maybe that's why I'm just being biased because I'm thinking we- how shallow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I like Pierce Brosnan. Um. <laughs> oh, okay. what? Uh, <laughs> I just I just love the fact that you know, oh, like first of all, where was she that she had to get a plane to see her parents on a boat? Like, couldn't she just get on the boat with the parents? Robos? Where was she? And, like, why doesn't Hernandez just, like, or Gonzalez, whatever his name is. um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, wrong one. Um, Like, why, when he lands the plane to drop her off, just get a gun out and shoot them. Like, what's with the dramatics? Like, I know, I'm going to fly around and kill them with my machine guns. That way he can get Molina as well. Yeah, and wouldn't you see the guns on this plane? Like, when she's getting on the plane, like... Like, oh, Mr. Pilot, why are there machine guns? Because for, for defense, in case Albanian people attack me. What if he was just, like, playing dumb the whole time? It's like, you know there's machine guns mounted. I don't see any guns. <laughs> it's like, no, the big gun's right there. What gun? What gun? The guns that look like you're about to fly over somebody and shoot them to death <laughs> from the air. I don't know what you're talking about, Mustacha. <laughs> I know nothing. Are those guns? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, spent a lot of time on this. Yes. Anyway, we get. I, I just want to say, if we're if we're going to talk a little bit about Melina here, I'll give my opinion. Um, I don't think that she's a great Bond girl. It's funny because you you get a lot of people. Uh, again, the reputation has taken a bit of a hit over time since when I first started watching these movies. But I remember a time where it was like Melina was considered the greatest Bond girl of this era, and. I can kind of see from both sides because as a character, there is a lot of depth to her character. Um, I know what you're saying, Noah, that there could have been more backstory and more development, but I also think it's interesting that they do just throw you right in there with her, you know, because it's it's not really about the backstory. It's about this revenge and it's a way to surprise the audience too. You know, we've come off of so many of these Bond girls that were considered equals only because their job title said so, you know, like, just because uh, Agent Triple X is deemed an agent, she was an equal, even though we don't really see it in the movie. Whereas Melina, she is in there. She's killing people. Um, 
you know, at the end of the movie, she's right there in a small team that's assembled to, you know, uh, take the, the villain out. So I think there are aspects of her character that really work. I do think the actress is the problem, though. I'll side with Noah on that, that she really has no charisma whatsoever. She has very little chemistry with Roger Moore. Roger Moore had more chemistry with BB than he had with uh, Melina. He said I think he like had a more bad chemistry thing. With... Well, he <laughs> had more chemistry Thatcher. with Yeah, he had more chemistry with Thatcher. He had more and chemistry he didn't with the parrot. <laughs> the parrot. parrot had more chemistry with Roger Moore than Melina did. So there's really two sides of it. I mean, I always considered her when I was younger to be one of the worst Bond girls just because I was so bored by her. But now, over time, I can see how well the character is written in the movie, and I think that she's kind of just more in the middle. It's a good point, actually, too, that um, Noah, you brought up, obviously, going so in-depth into the backstory, and it's something we talked a lot about throughout the film. So we like a Bond girl with a good backstory, and um, it's a good backstory. I mean, it's all about revenge in this film, basically. So uh, And we get to see it. Yeah, exactly. So... I think that's good too. I agree with that. Um, we're back to London. James Bond's in, and um, now is this the first Roger Moore actual office money penny scene? Because haven't we always and had money? Pe- we've had money penny on this money penny. <laughs> we've had, <laughs> had money penny. Hasn't he always been on the scene with money penny? Money penny as well. The only other time he was in the office was man with the golden gun and we don't see him with money penny he just walks right into m's office mm. so i think you're right yeah interesting i've written here granny penny um uh- <laughs> 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 uh- we've already got in trouble with mustache <laughs> play kind. Granny penny. but yes you brought it up no the hat is back <laughs> he's got that he's found it finally we can case closed um, there's just a whole in-between bit. We don't know how we got it. Um, anyway, we get... Then, of course, we find M's on leave. Um, again, we oh. sadly know why. <laughs> He's dead! <laughs> don't make me laugh at that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we get to see, of course, Mr. Bill Tanner, the uh, Minister of Defence, Sir Frederick Grey. I mean, Sir British. <laughs> Sir Frederick Grey. That's Colonel Smith. Colonel Smith. <laughs> Yes, he's not there. Uh, so we learn, of course, about the ATEC. He's got to find um, where it is. He's got to find it for the Soviets, basically. Hector Gonzalez is the lead, the pilot and Cuban national who killed the Havelocks. Um, and Tanner orders him to go to uh, near Madrid to find him for information. So that's where Bond goes. We see him in a Lotus. The Lotus is back. Um, and he's looking down into this party. Very um, fantastic looking party. There's women, there's men, there's geeks with glasses who for some reason are hanging out with bloody women like that. Uh, we are in the <laughs> 80s because, again, we see the high 80s bikini that is just like, Jesus Christ, they're high. Uh, <laughs> I've written here, there were drugs at the party. I've written woman around pool, 80s bikinis, worst security, dancing song, funny. <laughs> That's what I have written. Um, and Bond sneaking around, trying to get in, and um, sort of uh, leads us into this situation. Um, after he gets caught, um, security guard immediately identifies him, British Secret Service, oh, get him away. And just as about Gonzalez is about to dive in the pool, we, like, face plants. <laughs> we realise he's actually... Being shot by an arrow, and we get a lovely Mary scream reaction. Ah! Uh, when they realise 
And uh, I want to just, bef- obviously, before we get into this epic car chase, um, we get kind of the escape of Bond and going out and the Lotus blowing up, which is a fantastic scene. And he meets... Um, <laughs> st- st- no, I'm not going to say it. Um, yes, this whole oh, sequence, yeah. it's fun. I like it. You know, it's very 80s. I, th- I think, like, straight away, you know you are in the decade right away, even though we're in 1981, not, like, in the middle of the decade. But um, I enjoyed this scene. I, I-, I think it was fun. Uh, yeah, I think this is, again, some of the stuff that works in the movie. Um, I like Bond. Uh, anytime Bond gets to sneak around, I like it because it makes him feel more like a spy. I'm not as big of a fan when he just walks up and introduces himself to people. And I mean, although Bond could have done that uh, in this movie, I mean, there, there's no reason Bond couldn't just walk into a pool party. I, I agree. He was uh, uh, infinitely belong infinitely more in the pool party than most of the guys who are around there. Um <laughs> I do want to say, though, that, that I get this really uh, nauseated feeling when I see Roger Moore in whatever that awkward windbreaker was. <laughs> he was wearing her, his bad 80s jacket. Like the, the clothes just take a turn for the worse here in the decade. And it, there's something about Roger Moore's wardrobe here that makes him look like an old man. <laughs> so um, minor uh issue it's great that in the fight scene he fights men off with an umbrella um <laughs> especially when the umbrella apparently becomes bulletproof in the end uh, when he parachutes down and they're shooting at him and that umbrella protects him from bullets in his head uh <laughs> i i think the introduction uh i don't know if we're going to cover up to the the lotus here but you did say you know he meets melina and it's again a nice twist that you see you know the the killer is melina this early in the movie and instead of it being this thing where she wants to be a killer and you know she's kind of trying throughout the movie but failing miserably and missing like tilly that she's just instantly you don't even have to have the explanation she it's not like okay well i used to serve in the military it's like no what what is she says later in the movie it's like i'm greek i know how to kill people like that's basically all she says (laughs) So uh, I really like the the sequence minus the clothes and the really bad 80s song that's playing too. <laughs> um, well, we didn't also mention my major uh, Bond pet peeve, uh, handing the folder for your eyes uh, only. Yes, we uh, didn't go. Oh, how did we miss that? Start again. the fact that two other people were looking at it, but uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> for yours and people in this room's eyes only. For yours and Tanner's and Granny Penny's and... <laughs> Uh, Frederick Gray and uh, M when he's back off leave, um, size only. That's what the film should be called. Um, yeah, we're going to get Inspector. Oh, Judy Dench, she's just on leave. Uh, well, M, not Judy Dench. <laughs> like, how are they going to cover that one? Um, well, they kind of did it at the end of Skyfall, but anyway. Um... Yeah, yeah. It was, a it was called a death, but yeah, I guess what you're saying. <laughs> but had it her in his arms, Noah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the hat was back, so... Uh, we know that Roger Moore stole Sean Connery's hat, but he'll probably get it back in Never Say Never so again, I guess. Um, yeah, the party thing's pretty cool. It's just classic, like, um, like early movie exploring, uh, investigating kind of thing. Um, the shot with an arrow just as the diving board is funny because they're, like, cheering or something or laughing at his belly flop, but he's just dying. <laughs> like, so much death in this film. There's so many like people laughing at I forgot about that. 
<laughs> Why do people laugh at death in 1981 so much? And 2015, um, apparently. Uh. Why didn't we have the Havelocks get shot down and mustaches just like that? <laughs> Can laugh. And then, ah! Um, yeah, I, I like that the Lotus blows up because it's kind of like we're bringing, we're scaled, scaling down the magic. Bond's not in space. We're getting rid of, like, this big gadget. And so now he's going to have to use a mini. Um... So I really like that they do that. And I think there's a lot of fun uh, fights going on here. I love when uh, Bond gets captured. Where's the quote? Um, oh, license to kill or be killed. Um, <laughs> apparently Bond has a license to be killed, um, which hasn't happened You need to be yet. licensed for that nowadays? <laughs> or did uh, Tim have a, long, have a license to be killed? Because uh, we've yeah. got to start resuscitating if he didn't have his license. <laughs> he can't die, um, he doesn't have a license! Yeah, can we they check, come to uh, investigate the, like, Bond's your life? father here? Yeah, your father and mother. I'm sorry, they weren't licensed to be killed. That'll be a $2,000 fine, Nastasha. <laughs> license and registration, please, gentlemen. That, that wasn't Blofeld. That was just the uh, death license, uh, like... Like the ticket guy who goes around <laughs> to the cars and he was at the graveyard. Uh, Tracy Bond. There's no registration of her license to be killed. Um, <laughs> the Grim Reaper so, is just walking around checking license. <laughs> checking license. That's how they make their money. Uh, yeah, Grim, Reap- money the Grim Reaper's company needs to make some cash flow somehow. Yeah, uh, petition to get rid of license to be killed. Um, <laughs> yeah, but other than that, I, I really enjoy these kind of party scenes. I like geeky guys who wouldn't be with those women. Quite a funny observation. This is the 80s geeks. Like, this isn't the 2010s like, <laughs> geeks. With, like, that would probably happen. He's hipster geek. He's probably getting laid by women in bikinis. But like in the 80s, like Revenge of the Nerds was but about six years money. away. <laughs> Money, okay, man. as if the three of us would fit in there much better, right? <laughs> well, I would be at that part. Podcast yeah. hosts haven't quite um, come into... Um, we would be there. Uh, oh, yes, yet. there's uh, there's the man-woman in the bikini uh, just podcasting at the party. <laughs> there's um, Mustache. I wasn't sure goes. we were going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, uh, read into that as you will. Uh, you can research that if you want to know more about um, the transgender woman at the party but yeah nothing else to really add on the on the scene i i enjoyed the party scene and the next scene too just a bit of trivia for you as well bob simmons our dear uh, friend uh, bob simmons is not a woman <laughs> no not bob simmons um, <laughs> although in thunderball he was dressed up a <laughs> dear friend bob the stuntman had a cameo um he was one of the two henchmen who got blown up by the lotus and so um, <laughs> hey bob welcome back to the james bond film here's your uh, scene you are going to get blown up by a lotus um i'm not sure we talked about lotus sales spiking in the spy love me i don't know how they spiked at the end of your eyes only i think citron what happens if bond loses his key and he has to smash into That's the car what, I'm thinking, like, what <laughs> if like, the attache case all over what if again? like roadside assist pops up and it's like oh excuse me mr bond i need to just uh jimmy over the door no don't do that boom <laughs> It's like in a crowded market, just incidentally kills, like, thousands of people. That's how we lost M! <laughs> M lost his keys! Somebody at MI6 is like, I know, a great idea, let's make the car explode. Um, Dave, no, you mentioned the Mini. It's a Citroen, a Citroen 2CV that Melina Ooh. gets into. Um, I love this car chase. This is probably one of my favourite car chases in the James Bond. 
Bond movie franchise. Like, look, we, we went over in Moonraker just... Why are we mentioning Moonraker so much? Um, just how outlandish and over the top was. And I've obviously become a bit of a hypocrite like Noah at his opening title sequences because I said I love my outlandish, over-the-top James Bonds. But while Moonraker did that a little bit too much, like, this car chase is, like, a bit OTT, but it's fun. I mean, we've got a car on its fucking roof, like, sliding down, and, and we're through tight little streets, and we've got locals beeping. It's like Tilly Masts and all over again. And beep, 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 oh! And then all of a sudden, they've got a gun to move the bus. Like, that's pretty simple. And just this whole scene is just great. And then Bond and, obviously, Mustache are trying to, like, introduce them to each other in the car. They killed my parents. Um, keeps going through and locals and people driving. The thing that I don't get, though, is that the henchmen are driving right next to Bond in this shitty little Citroen. They're, like, staring at him and, like, trying... You've got fucking machine guns. Shoot them. Like, They're waiting for the play. (laughs) Like, this is the worst gang of henchmen ever. Like, if I'm next to people I'm trying to kill, oh, let's make a more dramatic death by ramming them or shoot them. There's, like, four of you in a car... Only two have got guns. You killed my grandfather, <laughs> Vargas. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get crashing into trees and just everything about this is fun. And it all closes off, of course, with uh, our famous... Oh, I haven't been introduced. My name is Bond. James Bond. Not quite. But, um, yes, this... Miming the scenes again. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just in an acting mood. <laughs> <laughs> and they get into Molina's car. <laughs> First key, second key. Michael win. Oh, we need petrol. Uh, beep, beep. <laughs> One thing that's kind of funny to me is this: the little what did you call Molina's car? A Citroen, a Citroen two CV. Citroen. Okay, so this little Citroen that looks like it's forty years old and rusted, and you know, on the verge of death. It can take falling off cliffs, being tipped over, and apparently there is no explosion. But every other James Bond car in existence, <laughs> it like <laughs> runs into a wall and it just explodes into flames. And the Lotus just gets tapped on the window and it explodes into flames. So that's a very resilient cit- citrus she has. Um, <laughs> citrin, citrus, I don't know, what are we going to call it? Um, <laughs> yeah, this car chase, It's. I don't think i'm as high on them as you are ben but i don't think it's a flaw of the movie i think that this was intentional to bring a little bit more realism back to bond um have him you know ditch the the gimmick gadgety car and just get into something that's uh completely the opposite when you expect james bond to ride you would expect james bond would probably vomit if he had to look at this car <laughs> and here he has to ride not only in it but be the passenger for half the chase i like the idea of bond pulling over the side of the road to bomb <laughs> why are you doing that it's the citroen i can't I'm pick up driving in this citroen. car <laughs> me in a citroen they get they go to have sex later on oh you drive a citroen <laughs> <laughs> So now we know BB owned a Citroen. That explains it. It's the only explanation. The mustache mobile is turned off. Hey. Uh, yeah, the, the the chase scene is fun though. There's a lot of good bits in there and um you know this is more like a classic Bond chase. We haven't had a really good chase scene, I feel, in a while. Um you know, Spy Who Loved Me was something different. It was three different chase scenes all put together with some, you know a great twist thrown on it. But I think man with the golden gun was the last time where there was 
a, a full-on chase scene. And even then, it was ruined by a slide whistle. So it's nice to have this one, even though there is some comedy in it, that uh, the comedy doesn't uh, completely drag it down. I just, I always hated the one line that you referred to, Ben, where he's saying, uh, he's basically asking her her name. And then she's like, he's, he's like, who are you? And she goes, he killed my parents. And he's like... <laughs> Okay, well, that's not your name, but yet he responds to it. Oh, the that's, a, that's like, a funny name. Is it Greek? That was like in you only live twice to... in a Japanese. Ah, miss, he killed my parents. <laughs> yes. This yeah. is my house. Isn't it nice? My parents were murdered. It's like you only live twice. <laughs> I, I just wanted to go like, he, uh, who are you? He killed my parents. Mustasha, he killed my parents. <laughs> <laughs> Pleased to meet you. He killed my parents. It's French. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I am uh, high up on the car chase. I'm with you, Ben. I love this. Um, it's always been one I've associated with. Like when I ever since I was a kid, for your eyes only, I've always associated it with this car chase. Like I still view this as the most memorable moment of the uh, film, and I still remember years and years and years ago uh, talking to my dad, and this is the only thing he remembered about. He's like, "Oh, that's the mini chase, isn't it?" Um, so yeah, I really love it. The idea of going from the top of a mountain down to the bottom in a mini cutting corners and stuff like that is great. Um, if one of my favorite car chases, I'm definitely with you. It's really good. Um, and my, probably my favorite bit is when the car tips and they get the help with the locals. Mm -hmm. Um, that's really fun. And this is probably more at his best during this film. Uh, more kind of goes a bit downhill, um, like not downhill, but this film is no spy love me live and let die for more. And this, we've got some classic more in here. So I, I really love the car chase and it's definitely something I'll be fighting for, for the hall of fame. I think it's a great little stunt to end out this little opening kind of action scene. Oh, you think you're fighting for it? I'm going to like, you know, get my freaking everything on, <laughs> my plane guns and my fucking, I don't know, everything to get this in the Hall of Fame. Well, considering we both agree, I don't know how much fighting we'll be doing. Um, no, I want to put it up. <laughs> no, I want to put it up. Um, but, yeah, um, I completely went blank on what you just talked about there while I was trying to put that humour into it. But um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, yes, that was the car chase sequence, and it was fantastic. The Mustache Mobile, um, one of my favourite. Molina Mobile. The, sorry, yes, the Molina Mobile. Yes, to be um, political. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, talking about um, more. This is, I think, and we'll get to what I feel probably a little bit later in the episode, but this is, I think, when more really becomes the nursing home resident. Like, <laughs> it's looking a little uh, Yeah, in parts. In parts. I feel like... It still kind of works because it's like Tracy died in 1969. <laughs> um, like, so it, it's kind of going along with the chronology and it's like here's an older Bond, um, no going to space, no magic. It's just an aging Bond against some drugs and stuff like that. Um, so I think it kind of works and he's not overly old, but I think this is the tipping point. Um and after this, <laughs> view to a kill, it's just like The Walking Dead. But, um, yeah, I think, I think this is noticeable but not overly bad. But then my question for you, um, and maybe Colin can answer this later, is 
this was a, supposed to be Moore's last film. Hmm. Um, it was supposed to be Live and Let Die through to For Your Eyes Only, and then they were going to get some other Sam Neill was in consideration. Um, so do you think Roger Moore's legacy as a James Bond would be bettered if his uh, films was five films from Live and Let Die in the early 70s through to Fear Eyes Only in the 80s. And then we had a different bomb for Octopussy and A View to a Kill, and then Dalton comes in after. Do you think he would be... Because it's really A View to a Kill, which is the the just, like, crazy old thing there. So do you Mm. think those five films would be a better legacy for him? It's a great question. And, I mean, there were talks that he might not even return for this one. I mean, that kind of took a lot of negotiations for him to even return for this. Um... Yeah, I think it would be probably improved. I mean, personally, I think it would be improved. I mean, look, I love A View to a Kill. I mean, that's one of my favourite movies, but it is brought down by the fact we've got Grandpa Bond. Um, uh, Sam Neill could have done A View to a Kill. Well, like, I mean, Sam Neill would have been an interesting Bond. I, I don't know if I can picture him. I mean, he's always forever <laughs> embedded in my memory as Alan Grant. I mean, come on. Like, I'm Jurassic Park's number one fan. But, when I mean, when it comes to it, like, it would be interesting if, if it was, say, like, a different actor for this uh, Octopussy and a View to Kill, and then we still got Dalton for two, or even if we got Dalton for five, like, how would that have happened, you know, like, imagine... Dalton could have done this film. Well, I mean, I think a View to a Kill could be a hundred times better with a younger Bond. Like, I mean, it's still a great film with an old fogey in it, but, like... I don't know. Like, we'll get to obviously Dalton and sort of those styles of films, but I mean, Tab's kind of, I don't know if Dalton could have pulled off some of the real, like, um, moments in the cars and all that sort of stuff because he wasn't really Mr. Um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, personality in terms of how he played it. Mr. Smile. Yeah. But, like, it, it <laughs> I, I think it would be because, like, I mean, you look at, look at, a, look at Brosnan, for example. Like, I kind of am glad that he only did four because. You know, people mm-hmm. would say in parts of Die Another Day, he looked a little bit too old. And it would sort of been a bit worried if, you know, they went ahead with a fifth film with Brosnan, how that would have come about. So, yeah, look, I, I definitely think, yes, he would have been a lot higher up in most regards had he kind of quit while he was ahead, so to speak, and maybe given it up after this film or even before this film. It's kind of interesting because... I don't feel like Dalton could have pulled off Octopussy and A View to a Kill. Just the style doesn't really fit with him. But I, I just, I think this film screams Dalton in a lot of uh, points. Mm. Um, like Dalton, maybe not hockey. all of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe not um, BB and stuff like that. But some of these action scenes, uh, the dockyards, which we'll get to, and the boat. Uh, I think not the boat at the start. I think Dalton would be really good. Uh, the mountain climbing stuff so i think this could work as a dalton film but i love roger moore but i think that his legacy would be much stronger as five films rather than seven and i feel like the age for me is not overly unbearable in this film like he is older but it kind of works as i said with the chronology so maybe this would have been the best way to end it and then give dalton four um but obviously they really wanted more back for the next one but yeah, it's an interesting it, it, We just would have needed them to fit a scene with Dalton, perhaps when he's with the Countess or something like that, when he's driving along and angrily staring off to the distance going, maybe it would have been for your eyes only. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or out of the living daylights. Scared the living daylights out of him. <laughs> or um, your husband is going to take my job. <laughs> 
Which the Countess is uh, Pierce Brosnan's ex-wife, for those who Ah, uh, spoiler. Know. We haven't got up to that bit yet. Um, ex-wife, because sadly the theme of the episode is she passed away <laughs> oh, uh, from cancer, like I think. That's but. actually quite sad. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> we're not laughing at that. It's real life now. <laughs> we're laughing at Bernard Lee, apparently. We're not laughing at Pierce Brosnan's dead wife. Um, now... <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh at Pierce Brothers' dead wife. Uh, we're back at the hotel. Mustache um, and Bond. Melina. Uh, Melina, they're talking. Um, I, I mean, is is Mustache and Melina a little bit racist here? You're English. Uh, like, why is that bad? Like, yes, he's English. So what? You're annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you need a shave. Um, <laughs> oh, that's uncalled for. <laughs> we get a lovely little connection. Um, they're, they're always revenging their loved ones and whatever. Um, and then we cut quickly back to London. Um, I want to obviously stop before the queue scene, I think, because I think that deserves a whole little section to talk about. Um, and we get Bond getting told off. <laughs> like, we thought... It- You're not my boss! <laughs> yeah, we needed... This is where Dalton would come into it. I'm I'm leaving. I'm jumping off. <laughs> this is not Country Club 007. <laughs> and you're not him! <laughs> no! I don't want to! Um, so he'd just chuck uh, Tanner over and jump <laughs> off over the side and run off. <laughs> Did it! For your eyes only. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Um, we need to go back to acting. This okay. thing. It sounded like the start of Doctor No. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> the three blind mice were in the tree. Wow. Uh, what is going on with this episode? I thought Moonraker <laughs> was the crazy one. <laughs> we're back to reality in this episode, and for some reason, we're acting like two-year-olds. <laughs> But yes, anyway, um, so Mustache um, <laughs> in the boat being racist Lena. and um, Bond getting told off and getting told to go try the uh, identigraph. But yes, anyway. There was one line in the scene uh, where it said, you know, the, the PM will have our guts for garters, which I'm not really sure what that means. That's an Australian um, saying. <laughs> Is it? Well, we say that. It means, like, you know, you'll be in trouble. Like, oh, he'll, he'll like, string you up by your balls. Like, <laughs> you know, like, if the PM will get really pissed off with you and, like, wash her dishes or something later on in the... Well, I guess it's maybe an this English is, like, thing. Well, well, I know it's... A, yeah, yeah, probably. Maybe. English, but Australians use it a lot. Like, that's a common saying that we say in this country. Let's be let's be honest. Every great aspect of James Bond was influenced by Australian culture. We all know that. It comes from Lazenby, right? Dicko. Um, yeah. Lazenby. Uh. <laughs> Dicko, yeah. Um, it's just the fact that Margaret Thatcher is the PM, so I, I think Guts for Garters takes on a little bit of a different image when you have a female prime minister. Uh, I'm not really sure what to say about that. But, uh, I have no opinion at all on the hotel scene. I'll just get that out of the way. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it is nice always to see Bond get yelled at. So whether it's M or somebody else, you know, Bond getting a little bit of trouble, it, it always makes Bond uh, a little bit more of like a troublemaker character. That's kind of an old Sean Connery thing. So, uh, I guess that's all I really have to add on that. Well, um, are we going to talk about the Q scene? No, I'm doing that separately. Come on. <laughs> I need to give an intro for that one because it's so good. <laughs> Um, 
the hotel scene was pretty good. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> technically, I, I'm pretty. Is it a hotel? Or they're on these back on a boat. I think they're actually back on a dad's boat, but it's, it looks like a hotel. Whatever. He's leading us on. <laughs> that definitely going in the hall of fame. <laughs> yeah. And if we don't put it in, feel free to send us hashtag hotel scene was robbed for Hall of Fame. <laughs> Out of all the bad things we've said in this episode, that is the one people will complain about. Not Granny Penny, not <laughs> Mustasha, that one. <laughs> all right. Nothing to add on. How about Q? Nothing to add getting M getting <laughs> M dead. Um, M <laughs> is dead. Ben. M got his guts for garters and he's gone now. <laughs> All right. No, no uh, escape with the Q scene, right? Okay. I want to do this separately because he gets sent to Q um, to use your identograph. We get grumpy as hell Q. Like, Q is just in a shit mood. It's late in the afternoon. <laughs> he's pissed. It's closing um, time. We, we get, like, decapitated umbrellas stinging in the rain. That's that quote we all wrote down that we just realised where it came from. Um, <laughs> we get... Q's like, what are you doing here, 007? <laughs> and then, like, he's making all these jokes, and it's like, I disregard those jibes about our equipment, 007. <laughs> like, he's such in a grumpy mood. And then we, of course, get the, the number pad, which, um, you know, we all know the song for... Anyway, it's Die Another Day, if you didn't realise what that it was. was underneath the moon, um, and then cool. we get, oh, the identigraph. This is just... <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's Amazing. remember, we're in 1981. And yet this machine... <laughs> I don't even know if they have these, like, in 2015 to be able to identify people like this. It's accurate. Male, Caucasian, uh, big eyes, nose. It's not a banana cue. Uh- <laughs> but if you followed the instructions for that, you could probably get either one of us three on there, plus pretty much every male I know. But, like, why does he say, like, male, Caucasian? This is in, like, black and white. Like, what would, like what racist reference would they have if this was, like, an African-American or, like, an Asian, like, you know? Like, oh. That's why he didn't recognise Kananga slash Mr. B. And, like, you know, we also find out that Sharon's going because Q's got to lock up afterwards. It's random scene. I don't know why that's so funny. And then, like, he gets this, like, beautiful, you know, image of, uh, of course, turns out to be our uh, dear friend, uh, Emil Leopold Locke, that somehow connects to the magical internet that was around in 1981 <laughs> and finds an exact image. I can't even get my Google to work quickly that time. And you, start, you know, like, what the hell? Good on you, technology. This is Jula. <laughs> Why? This is so funny. Sharon wanted to go home. Uh, you can see why I wanted to keep this separately. Because it's the identical. Wow. Um, I don't and we know thought so deaths funny were funny. Yeah. It's not even This funny. isn't like people on fire here. I mean, that's not that funny. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> All right, composure again. How is it we're losing it on for your eyes only? Uh, one thing I want to point out is uh, Smithers here, the brief appearance yes, of Smithers, yes. played by Jeremy Bullock, the same That's man the who played Boba Fett in Star Wars. Ah, I um, thought there was a resemblance there. 
which I didn't even realize it was him until I saw the credits. So I've I've met him before at a Comic Con. So this is going to be the only James Bond actor I've been able to meet before. Did, did you bring that up? I, met him, him, I, I loved you as Smithers in your eyes. <laughs> I had no idea. Like he had he had this table with all these pictures out, and of course you see Boba Fett, but then you see like these pictures of other movies he's in and i'm like oh i didn't realize you were in this and this and he's like yeah and he's talking about it he had nothing there with smithers oh, um, i didn't realize you were in something other than star wars <laughs> yeah <laughs> you got that one fan who comes along Jeez, thanks a- random canadian at comic con P- picture picture of smithers <laughs> one fan the biggest bond fan in the world i can make smithers <laughs> I like the identigraph just because, like, like you said, it's probably something in 1981. People were like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And now we look back and we're laughing at it. But it really does look like the beta testing of The Sims 20 years ahead of time. (laughs) 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 And it is just like, well, how does this thing actually work? Like, yeah, Caucasian, blonde hair, smaller nose than a banana. Oh, that's Locke. Oh, I should have known the whole time. Uh, yeah, the identigraph is such a fun scene, and this is actually one of my favorite Q scenes from uh, at least the the Roger Moore ones because we get to see the full Q lab, and this is more it's less of the Sean Connery Q lab scenes, and this is a lot closer to what we're going to get with the Pierce Brosnans, where there's always something clever going on, and then you get a real interaction between Bond and Q more than just this is your gadget. I mean, Q's helping them. Um, I, I didn't notice the line that you said, Ben. I don't even know if it's in the movie or if you just made it up in part of your miming. Like, was like, what are you doing here, Bond? Because Bond could probably be asking that for every time Q is like snuck into one of the secret <laughs> briefings that we've talked about. The- what are you doing, you in Bangkok, Q? <laughs> I'm just here to see if you need the identigraph. Uh, <laughs> the identigraph is just like something that Q was playing around with, and everybody knows it's like the worst gadget ever. <laughs> But Q's it's like, big we could use the identigraph for that. And he's like, yeah, Q, that'll be helpful. Uh- M would have never sent me to the identigraph. <laughs> oh, no, the identigraph. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a fun scene, and I, I still don't know what's funny. Um, I don't know about- what he's <laughs> <not> funny. <laughs> but the rest of the scene's funny, so I mean, I'm with you there, I guess. Jared had to go home, okay? Like, she'd had a yeah, long day yeah. at work. I think uh, Sharon is my new favourite Bong character. Uh, Do you think you and, you and Sharon, Sharon were hooking up in the identigraph yeah. room? <laughs> Surprised Bond didn't get with Sharon. Um, well, but he's faithful enough. to Sheena. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love Sharon. You can go, I'll lock up. I love the idea that Q <laughs> locks up the Q lab. I think that's great. Um <laughs> I love the, like, they didn't need to put this in, but I love that it's, like, late afternoon. It's like Sharon's going home and Q's about to go home to his wife and kids. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I love that Sharon is supposed to be, like, she's gotten into MI6 and she's, like, made it to second in command of Q Lab and she has to make coffee for the men. Uh, Sharon, get the coffees. Um, <laughs> so... Apparently, high up people in MI6, if you're a woman, you're still going to make coffees in 1981. Well, we said that um, at the end of the movie. The Prime Minister's washing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the identigraph because it's so bonkers and it's always stuck out like a sore thumb in this film. And I'm not even sure in 1981, Mildred's like, what is this ridiculous thing? I'm not even sure. <laughs> Mildred's people old the by age- then, too. Like, Mildred's like, you know, oh, what uh, a technology, Bert. She's lost it. Come on. Um, 
Yeah, it's such a great scene. We got the Q Lab. So much comedy with the banana. It's just funny, and it's so much subtle. Like they're just having a back and forth conversation. They both look so worn out. It's just change the banana. Yes, yes. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. It's just bizarre, but I, I really like it. But yeah, the fact that they got Locke out of Bond instructions just blows my mind. I want to see the deleted scene where they go through every single picture. Is that him? No. Is that him? No. <laughs> and then Sharon comes back in as the next morning or something like, because it's so ridiculous, but I love it though. Such a great cue scene. All right. I've had my moment. Um, <laughs> we've had the antenograph. Um, we, of course, find out that um, Locke um, is, a, is a bit of a bad man, worked a lot of crime syndicates and... He's our lead, and um, he's the intel suggests... Oh, he's in Cortina. Let's go there. Where Bond meets up with the most Italian man in the world, Luigi Ferrara. Like, couldn't they just call him, like, Luigi Pizza or Luigi Ferrari? Like, you know, like, just call him Italian man, and that would have... I think this is uh, David Duchovny's older brother or something, isn't it? Am I the only one who picked up on that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> look, look at a picture of Luigi Ferrara and tell me that is not John David Marino. Um, I'll, I'll have to. I'll, I will. I'll find that shortly. Um, just I'll just search it on the identigraph. Um, <laughs> short black hair. Uh, a UFO in the background. Um, uh, often called Hank Moody. Um, <laughs> It's an iPhone app now called Identigraph. Um, yeah, someone needs to cash in on that. There probably would be. I mean, probably that computer's probably about a, a tenth of the power of a normal phone or less, whatever. Um, so, yeah, we learn a little bit more about what's going on that Locke's associated with an organisation possibly called White Dove. Ooh. Um, and then Bond's got to go to his most reliable contact. Well, it must be bloody reliable considering what happens in the rest of the film. Um, we get to meet Christatos. Um, we're at an ice skating rink. I just want to, one thing I pointed out, uh, I've written here in my notes, that Bond had a B on his zipper. Did anyone else notice that? That he's actually, like, he <laughs> needs to be known. Oh, I'm Bond. I'm going to have a B as my zipper. Um, I just thought that was funny. Was it like some type of alien bee from the X-Files? <laughs> then this is starting to make sense. Well, the truth is out there, Colin. So, um, <laughs> maybe. Um, but while we're at the rink, let's, let's just calm down for a second, ladies and gentlemen, because we get to meet Phoebe! Phoebe's in the oh. film! <laughs> the best bit about For Your Eyes Only. She's skating, she's excited, she's cute. She comes up. She's already into Bond. She's pooped. Uh, she wants to go to the biathlon. <laughs> Random old oh, I, I get what you're saying now, but when you said she's pooped, I'm like, what deleted scene did I miss here where she's taking a dump on the ice? <laughs> yes. She just let a load out. <laughs> so pitched into a double take. <laughs> I just look, we, we're going to be talking about BB in a, in a scene very shortly, but I just have to like take this out. Like, she's up there with plenty of tour at this point in the James Bond universe as like the greatest female character ever. All right, I love BB and I will not hear a bad word against BB, so you two be warned. Um, <laughs> then. She just wants to go watch the biathlon, okay? What's so bad about asking an old grandpa-looking man to go see the biathlon? Um, and 
Yes, we then we cut back to the town. Um, Bond's sort of spying on Mustasha. Um, <laughs> we haven't seen her for a while. Um, I love the whole flower scene and the bike going through the window and a dozen lilies and all that, everything else in between there. And, of course, we um, see uh, him in the, what are we, the horsey thing, is it not? Are we? Am I skipping ahead a bit too much there? <laughs> Do you call them horses? <laughs> What's that horse and carriage that they're in? <laughs> the horsey thing? <laughs> okay, that makes more sense, but still, you call them horses? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> if I can just recap here and do this in uh for your eyes only uh the double law seven's new format here bond sees bb at the ice skating rink whoosh whoosh uh bond beats melina horsies meets bb for the first time all of you that have waited so long for, for your eyes only and us to get into the 80s. This was well worth the wait, wasn't it? <laughs> no, we, okay, okay. No, the, the, the scene with the carriage and they're they're riding along and keeps telling the driver to stop and you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Just yeah, talk, the talk about the pooping and the horsing. The horsies pooped too, in case anybody wasn't noticing. We have our poop count later on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's cover the scenes now. Uh <laughs> The, the ice skating scene, I mean, it is fun, and I think my opinion on BB's turned around a bit, because again, when I first saw this movie, I just thought BB was so annoying and so pointless. I still think she's the most pointless character, the most pointless Bond girl ever, because there is no reason for her to be in this movie, other than they said, there's this real-life ice skater who wants to get into acting. Great, let's put her in DRS only. Let's have her ice skating. Um, there's no other purpose for her to be here. Brief meeting with Christados, which uh, I'll have more of an opinion on that later, but I like the idea that they're setting him up almost like a Bond ally. And it would be better if, you know, you weren't so in tune with Bond movies that you kind of know who the villain is before the villain is outed as a villain. Because one of the coolest ideas about this movie is which one is the villain. And Christados doesn't come across like the villain here. Um, BB, <laughs> it's funny. Uh and there is a lot of stuff in this movie that I'm going to say just feels random and it doesn't belong here. I think the scene with the motorcycles in uh, the, the town square and the uh, flower shop, that is one of the random things. It's one of the better random things. And it does work if you're not really thinking about a story or a purpose for anything. Uh, but it, it is a fun scene. And uh the the same thing with BB. It, it doesn't really belong in the movie, but it's acceptable because she's kind of a fun character and she has a lot more charisma than Mustacha. Uh, I think the horse the horsies have more charisma than Mustacha too. But um, we do know what scene you're talking about now, Ben. I just don't really have anything to <laughs> Sorry, add. Sorry, I'll, I'll go back and rephrase that. So we then get to the scene of the clippity clop, clippity clop, clippity clop. Stop! Don't stop! Clippity clop, clippity clop, clippity clop. Don't stop. Uh, stealing Colin's joke. Yes, that's what I do, Noah. Um, He's going to edit out my earlier reference to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Luigi Ferrara. Um, I think that's it. I, I think there's only room for one good Bond ally in a Bond film, um, and that goes to Columbo. So 
not much for him there, really. Um, BB, her and her, like, carer lady, is that her? No, it's not a mother, right? It's Mrs. Brink. Trainer. Trainer, yeah, yeah of course. Um, yeah, both of them are just so random. It's like Christatos is uh, her uncle, but, like, well, like we didn't get to see Dr. No's niece, um, and we didn't need to either. Um, like we didn't need to see Rosa Klebb's nephew, so it's just kind of weird um, and unnecessary. Although BB does have her funny moments, I just cringe a lot of the time. Um, we'll get to ice cream, but um, this whole snow sequence, uh, and I think we'll touch on Christatos a bit later and the whole double-crossing kind of thing, but... Yeah, this is where it falls apart for me. I find the snow scenes to be way too long. A lot of the unnecessary stuff happens here and a lot of just pointless stuff. I feel like you could cut for your eyes only down by 15 minutes and a lot of it would come from these snow bits. It's definitely not my favourite part of the film. I think it drags a bit but picks up again when we get back to like the boats and stuff like that. Well, I disagree completely and we'll get into that in just a moment. But we've got to, we've got to talk about this scene. Just this such a great scene and I have the biggest question mark over this though. We, we get Bond back to the hotel. Once again, Bond's room has been broken into. Hotel or boat? It's a boat um, in, the, in the Alps in Cortina, clearly. Um, <laughs> we see Bond thinking, oh no, there's somebody like there to kill him and he gets his gun ready and oh no, it's only BB. He gets into bed and um, we get this lovely little interaction that we've got BB's horny in bed. She's not a virgin, uh, asking if um, Bond likes her and then uh, we get the lovely little interaction of uh, wanting an ice cream. It's in our uh, introduction. You get your clothes on and I'll go buy you an ice cream. Now, I have to ask because I first of all looked up the age of Lynn Holly Johnson at the time of this movie to make sure I wasn't coming across as a creepy pedo and she was of a clear legal age. She's like 21 or something like that. Clearly, she, looks like- she, she doesn't look like a child. She's obviously, I'm guessing, meant to be probably like 15 or something. They never say how old she is in the film. Is this the only reason why Bond doesn't porker? Because, like, they surely can throw in a line saying, like, you're only 15 or you're only 16. Because other than that, she doesn't look like she's too young. She comes across as being innocent. But every other aspect of this scene, Bond is in bed getting down in BB. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about it that much because the one thing that I really liked about BB is that for once we don't see Bond interested, but you probably are right. And I don't know if she really does look too young or I'm not even sure what her age is supposed to be in the movie. I always thought she's supposed to be maybe about, you know, 18, 19 even, um, which maybe explains why her trainer is there and not her parents. If she had parents, I mean, I guess she's got her uncle there, um, her pedophile uncle. (laughs) Uh, I I never thought about it that much, but that does make sense. It's not something that bothers me though, because that's one of the things that, People criticize this movie too much, and they'll use this as an example to point out, well, Roger Moore was too old because there was a Bond girl who, you know, was all over him. Yeah, but that's part of the joke. Because even if Bond was 33, if this was Sean Connery and Dr. No or, you know, Daniel Craig and Casino Royale, it, you still don't want to see him in bed with her. So, uh, really? I, don't, I don't mind. I actually think, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't think that it's, I think that it works better as a joke to have Bond not want to sleep with her than to just have him sleep with her. Uh, I think we just covered it that she uh, drove a Citroen. Um, 
and it it is a, a such a bizarre and kooky scene. And you'd think that would be the end of BB, but no, BB will return in yes. later on in the film. Um, yes, yeah, it, it, it's just a whack job. And like, if you really want to destruct, uh, deconstruct the scene like we're doing, um, <laughs> ice cream. Like they're in the middle of the snow right now. Um, you, you put your clothes on, and I'll buy you a hot Dagwood dog or something like that. An ice cream? It's probably well below zero there. I just like it just annoys the shit out of me. If BB's in my bed, I'm like I'm there. Like I am going to town. Okay, I'm, I'm probably not. <laughs> no, what, what are you? What are you doing with BB at that point? Um, depends on if she's supplying the ice cream. Or not. <laughs> um, I would eat if ice cream. I'm eat... there, but if I have to pay for ice cream, um, I'm broke. I'm, but... I'm eating the ice cream off BB, so like it's the best of both worlds at that point. You're an idiot, James Bond. Um, all right, gonna lump a lot of this together. I I disagree. Now I like the fact that we have all these skiing scenes, and I think they work. Um, we get a lovely little fight sequence, but I just one quick separate thing I wanted to point out when Bond is skiing with BB, we hear Bond, uh, sorry, BB, like, going, woo, woo, woo. I swear we get a moment where even Bond is going, woo. <laughs> like, there is a moment if you watch it, like, James Bond is letting out, he's a woo girl, he's like, woo. <laughs> I, I don't. If that did happen, I don't want to. I don't want to believe that it happened. That's not fun. You need to get that for the ending, Colin. <laughs> we've, we've, we've literally just shat all over the James Bond legend in the last two minutes. A, he doesn't sleep with a hot chick in bed. Get him B, on a skis. On skis. <laughs> it's all the identigraph's fault. Uh, <laughs> But we or Kevin McClory. Yes, McClory. Uh we then of course we throughout this we get to meet Eric Kri- Kriegler. Kriegler, Kriegler. Kriegler. Which, which I have to point out, we've gone over Let's just call him Red Graham. Well we've gone over Wikipedia before's descriptions of uh henchmen. Now this is what they have written for uh, Kriegler. It says, an East German Olympic-class athlete and Christatus's henchman KGB contact. The academic Jeremy Black, I have no idea who that is, said that he resembles Hans of You Only Live Twice and Stamper of Tomorrow Never Dies. Let's forget Red Grant came before both of them. And who the fuck is Jeremy Black? Yeah, he resembles Hans because they're both shit and Red Grant's awesome. <laughs> I just looked up uh, Jeremy Black here, who is a historian, British historian and professor of history at the University of Exeter. Oh. He's a senior fellow at the Center for the Study of America and the West at the Foreign Policy Only studies Research. up to 1965. <laughs> <laughs> who the hell uh, compares anyone to Hans? <laughs> the scholar Peter Travers. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Jeremy Black is now in our Peter Travers books here. <laughs> Jeremy Black, can we start the band Jeremy Black? <laughs> He's a dickhead. <laughs> Comparing someone to Hans. Oh, uh, all right, uh, so we get this. I have. Oh, go please go, Colin. Yeah. No, I'm just gonna say that one flaw of this movie, and I think this is something that John Glenn inadvertently picked up from Lewis Gilbert, is just the randomness of henchmen. 
henchmen just chase Bond and there's never an explanation and the henchmen have no development. I think that this movie instantly becomes a top five movie if you have henchmen with development. And you have here you have Locke and Kriegler who 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 could care less about these guys? They never speak in the movie. They never do anything. Uh, Kriegler is really Vargas too, just with less personality somehow. I, I mean, <laughs> worst sequel ever. <laughs> Vargas too. <laughs> Coming to a theater near you. Vargas too. <laughs> oh, anyway, right. Um, had you finished, Colin? Sorry. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Well, I just jump in there, and I agree, and that's one major criticism I'll get to at the end of this is the henchmen suck. Uh, Krieger, Krieger, he is... Yeah, he's not even Red Grant. He is Hans, too, because Red Grant is way too much better. Um, and Locke, they just spend so much time on this character, Identigraph. He doesn't speak a word, and he just takes the tumble off a cliff, and it's just like, whatever. I thought he was going to be like a major player. Um, and then we'll get to it. But even the villain, um, I don't want to talk too much about Christatos, but no, spoiler, I don't have a lot of a positive villain? things what? to say about him. So, um, yeah, I think that's my major flaw with the film and why I can't put it up there as one of the all-time greats is if you have a, a bad bunch of henchmen and a bad villain, it, it can't be a great Bond film in my eyes. Well, I'm going to agree with you on Locke, and I'm going to disagree with you on Krieg, Kriegler, Kriegler, the, the, the German dude. Um, I, I like the fact that he's kind of like this, you know, um, athlete, biathlon guy who's, you know, obviously quite famous, yet deep down he's a murderous prick. And we see, like, these scenes with him where he's obviously a pretty, pretty tough bastard. I love the scene we're going to get to in a moment where he throws his gun and picks up a bike and throws it at James <laughs> Bond. Like, throws a bent gun and a motorcycle. <laughs> like, come on. That, that guy's better than Hans right there. Um, I do love the BB interaction when he's all like, Eric, Eric, let's get a drink after the race. He's just staring at a poor poor moments of a BB like I reckon I've got in a chance with BB at this point because everyone's rejecting her so I'm like the next best option probably um but yes ah! <laughs> I just want to say I really was missing the line there where again we have now Kriegler who has zero interest in BB as well it just would have been a perfect opportunity you know to tie it back to past movies just to have her go I think you do not like girls Kriegy <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and uh, yes, anyway, we get a lovely little collection of um, Bond and skiing and motorbikes and guns and Bond doing ski jumping with Kriegler, Kriegler, whatever, um, being a prick and pushing in front of the line up as they're trying to get down the lift. It's almost like harking back to Dr. No when he's pushing in front of the taxi, like, Bond just likes to skip lines. Um, and yeah, I, I don't... I. I no, you said it goes on for too long. I, I again, yeah, disagree. I think it's a, it's a good length. Like, it's not... I, I wasn't bored in it. I was sort of on the edge of my seat. I'm liking kind of, you know, the nods to all these sports. And, I mean, this is probably the most glamorous I've ever made biathlon look in a movie. Like, for fuck's sake, it's biathlon. You can watch that at the Olympics. It's probably the most boring sport at the Winter Olympics. Um, but other than that, um, it sort of connects eventually into, um, and I'm skipping ahead here, but we'll combine this together, um, when we see them at the rink later on with BB and wanting to eat up Mr. Bond alive, and then we get evil ice hockey players. 
Maybe. Hello, Lewis Gilbert. <laughs> we should have kept that separate. And I and I am going to um, come out here and defend one bit of this scene when it comes to the kill count because I am on the staunch opinion that Bond kills one of those hockey guys and not just knocks him out. But anyway, I've covered a lot there. I've jumped all over the place. Uh, I started off with BB getting rejected and Bond going woo to um, <laughs> evil ice hockey players. Um, yeah, the... I said right at the beginning that there are, in the first half of the movie, parts that are just completely random and way too Lewis Gilbert. Like, the first sequence was the one with the motorcycles uh, with Melina and the flower shop, which I do think that sequence worked on its own. They kind of get worse with each one. There's three of them. The second one is the whole skiing through the Olympic Park, which, again, has some fun moments. And we get the return of the the, the guy, the double-take guy. We didn't get the yes. double-take pigeon this skiing time. Skiing <laughs> <laughs> the, the trilogy of double take guys is back uh the skiing scene again it, i think whereas i think that the motorcycle one with the flower shop worked sort of this one only kind of works it's fun but it's not really it, it starts to drag you out of the movie because you're just feeling like all right well here's another action scene just for the purpose of having an action scene and then the third scene, which really bothers me, is the hockey guys because it just it makes no sense at all. And it, I thought it you were gonna worked. love that one, Colin. No, it's just there's no context for it. Like that's the problem. That you need some explanation. If you had seen even a henchman that you recognized in there, it would make sense. But it's just the fact that everywhere Bond's going, he's being chased by these henchmen, and with each sequence, he seems to get more and more comfortable with it. Like. Maybe if, again, this is a more serious movie. Maybe if Roger Moore just responded to it or played it a little bit differently, like with some panic, but it's like, all right, three more guys coming to kill me. Let me take care of this. I- I'm not sure how how you come up with one of them is dead, but uh, maybe that's a debate for later. Can I, can I just, can I just, I, this is a, sorry, go, oh, you yeah, go for it. I was just, just going to quickly say that I, the first two he doesn't kill because they clearly pushed him out. That third guy, he slams the shit out of him into a Zamboni and absolutely just crushes that guy. And the other two are kind of still, you can see them like going, and that third guy, he is not moving. And if you get hit by a Zamboni the, the way he did, he's dead. Well, he didn't get run over by the Zamboni. He nearly <laughs> did. This is an he argument for later in the episode. Yeah, the no. I think if the other two guys are clearly alive, then <laughs> th- there's. Where's the I, if canoe? they wanted him to be dead, you would show him as dead. Like we know that Roger Moore with his had brain issues. hanging out of his head. <laughs> he's on well, leave. Something... Yeah, like Bond pulls out a gun and just shoots one of them randomly. Like he's not gonna leave. If he's gonna leave with the guys being alive, he's gonna leave with them all being alive. You know. And, we know that Roger Moore had issues with Bond killing people, and I think when Bond does kill somebody, it's always very clear, and this just isn't clear to me. I do want to say, though, I think that this is by far the worst sequence in the movie, the, the <laughs> random hot fight. Oh, not in Canada. Oh. Well, um, it's it kind of feels like um, someone had a punchline for this, but they had no setup. It's like, yeah, and Bond fights hockey thugs and scores a goal. But it's like, how are we going to make that make sense? Oh, oh the film's due in a few days. Let's, let's just do it. Um, like the idea of hockey thugs, like ice rink thugs, that could be good, but it just does not work here. 
And like, they're trying to make a more serious film. And that's not to say this doesn't have comedy in it, but it just does not work. Um, when I said the snow sequence goes for too long, I meant the whole thing, not just the chase. Like, I meant from the beginning to the end. But in saying that, the chase does go on, I think. I do not enjoy much of this at all. It's a bit tense with the, um, like, stopping at the ramp, going up the elevator kind of thing. But then again, that kind of just stifles the action a bit. Uh, the music here is horrible. Uh, this is the worst soundtrack up to date of the first, what is it, 12 films? Uh, 13 films? 12 films? 12. Um this is hands down the worst soundtrack so far. I think that kind of ruins the ski chase. And there's just, like, not a whole lot different going on. It's kind of just the same thing for the whole scene. So it's not like I overly hate this scene, but up to all the snow sequences we've seen, this is hands down the least thrilling snow sequence. Um, so there's some decent stuff in there, but, um, yeah, not a fan of that or the um, the the ice hockey um and I did not pick up on the woo from Bond, so I have to go back and watch it. Go back that. and watch it. Um, we should mention really... Can I just say, yes. really quickly, I just wanted to add on the soundtrack. And I think that I can agree that the music that's in here that doesn't work really is some of the worst stuff we've ever heard. And it's Bill Conti doing the music, who did the Rocky movies, which I don't know why they thought the type of soundtrack Rocky had with <laughs> James Bond. But uh, there are some moments in here Killing where I think... Bad I think there are some moments in the movie where the music really does work, and I can't really say that about, say, Man with a Golden Gun, where it's just the Man with a Golden Gun theme over and over again. So I wouldn't call it the worst ever. I think that it definitely gets that reputation because the bad music is so bad. But there is some really good stuff here, too. I really like the 80s porn music. I think it's... (laughs) <laughs> Fine. Well, I think uh, Locke fits in with that as well. He looks like he could be a part of that. 80 porn star. Well, they were geeks back then. Um, now... Seems <laughs> <laughs> we... so like you've really got uh, some issue here with the geeks. Well, again, Revenge of the Nerds was still a few years away. Yeah, we meant to hate the geeks in the 80s. Um, <laughs> now, we learned... We're spreading like geek hate crime here. <laughs> Hey, I'm closer to a geek than a Kill them all! <laughs> They're all geeks anyways. I'm the geek bloke. Send all film. the geeks on leave. Um, we find out that at this point, Eric, of course, is an East German defector. Ooh! <laughs> um, and we also learn... <laughs> <laughs> um, Ferrara is dead. Oh, wow. Um, he's being killed in his car. <laughs> we only knew him for so long. Oh, poor Ferrara. Um, he's got a white dove pin in his hand. Dun, dun, dun. What can... <laughs> <laughs> We've got to stop this. No, Colin, you need to make a song bit of Noah going, Plot twist! Uh, <laughs> no, you really don't. I've done enough damage with Mustacha. <laughs> um, we'll skip over this bit. Yeah, we see back with um, Mustacha. Um, they kill a couple of other guys and bikes. Um, we get... Um, a scene which I swear is that the same area where they filmed episode two Star Wars, like you know, the whole cringeworthy Padme Anakin, you know, love scene. Your skills <laughs> like sand, it's coarse, and whatever the fuck that stupid George Lucas romantic line was. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. And we get um, this lovely little inter- <laughs> I think that was Naboo. <laughs> Yes, they filmed on it's Naboo. It's a different planet. <laughs> no, the Wrong galaxy. Where they filmed it. Not like, yes, they fucking bloody the broccolis went to Naboo. Uh, and filmed this scene. 
<laughs> Didn't you see the Amidala cameo? <laughs> well, Jar Jar was in uh, Live and Let Die, A Man with a Golden Gun already. We established that. So where was his cameo here? Oh, Natalie Port was in this movie. Go visit Columbo on Dagobah. <laughs> um, we get the... Uh, I, I like the little scene, though, here between Bond and Melina. Where obviously um, he's sort of warning her off revenge and she's all like, oh no, I want revenge. And then she basically agrees to return to the hotel, I mean the yacht, um, and wait for word from Bond. So he's just, Bond just like, oh yeah, um, I'm going to go off and like have sex a lot. Um, can you just wait in that boat for me? And then um, <laughs> one thing I will just say, like we said about the chemistry between Bond and Melina, at no point in this film do we ever get any inkling that these two are like hot for each other until right at the end when they're skinny dipping. So that's the one bit I will... Even yeah. then, you know. Yeah. So, and this this bit I've written here, he looks like her dad. I think this is... <laughs> like, Roger Moore is... Yeah, this, this is Grandpa Moore at about this so point. So what, what was she planning on doing when she met up with old Tim Havelock <laughs> on that boat? Well, clearly Bond doesn't have a problem. Like, he's just obviously anti-Bond. Melina has daddy issues. He's dead. <laughs> daddy. <laughs> um, all right, then we obviously get um, Bond flicking now to Greece, uh, trying to find Columbo, goes to a nightclub, meets up dear old Christatos, telling him um, sort of how to uh, go about meeting Columbo. We get to another scene of them playing cards. We love these, meeting the villain. Or is he the villain? And we meet Mrs. Brosnan, um, Lisa Von Schlaff, who I've got to say is just useless and pointless. I'm just not a Von Schlaff fan. And you just defended... BB yes. doll <laughs> and Kriegler. BB had more personality in bed, saying that she wasn't a virgin than Mrs. Brosnan did in the whole bloody secret she's involved. Um, no. Anyway, so we get this whole scene. We learn, oh no, she's offended by something that Columbo says. Off pops Lisey and um, Lisey, <laughs> whatever, Lisey, Mrs. Brosnan, Lisey Kriegler, Lisey rides a horsey. Ben's just reading like the synopsis online. Never saw the movie. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Hang on a minute. Let me rephrase that. Bond gets in car. Oh, I want to have sex with you. Oh, come back to my house. Bond goes to the hotel. Boat. <laughs> oh, we're done. Uh, Why are there chips in there? <laughs> uh, this whole time that Bond is hooking up with Mrs. Brosnan, the whole conversation this... is being recorded. Woo! So I've covered a lot there. We've ended up from dad and daughter to Bond hooking up with Mrs. Brosnan. Um, uh, I've completely lost how we started this. <laughs> Let's see. Ian uh, Fleming once wrote about a man called James <laughs> Bond. <laughs> I did want to really quickly touch on, like you said, the the, the fact that Melina and Bond seem to have no interest in each other. It, maybe it has to do with the age, too, because if you actually look, uh, Carol Bouquet, she's the exact same age. She's only a year older than Lynn Holly Johnson. So... They really were casting young for Roger Moore here, which uh, I don't know why it took Roger Moore until A View to a Kill to get uncomfortable with the Bond girls' ages because he really should have been very uncomfortable at this point. Uh, I, I I like the idea, again, of 
who is the villain. I just think this is the last point in the movie where I'm really going to have any criticism because I think everything from this point on really works. But it would have been handled so much better again with some development. We've already said how Locke is just, why is he there? I mean, you talk about him so much. You make such a big deal about him. Locke could have just had some eccentricity to him and he would have been an interesting henchman. We've had one introduction to uh, Cristado so far. We have our first mention of Columbo here and it's halfway through the movie. And I think it really does take off from this point on, but I just would have been more interested if they had spent the first half of the movie instead of just these random henchmen chasing, building a little bit of this whole, oh, there's this man named Columbo and even do a tease like, you know, a, a world is not enough tease where you're clearly building Columbo as the villain and then you find out, you know, halfway through, no, it's really Cristados. But they do handle it well here in this scene with uh, the Countess Lisi, uh, as Ben calls her. <laughs> and I don't know what you're talking about because I think that this is almost an unfortunate thing. Like we talked in Goldfinger about how the movie would have worked so much better if Tilly would have been the main Bond girl like in the book. And there's been a couple of Bond movies like that where you could have you know, made somebody else the main Bond girl. And I think that if this movie had the Countess from the halfway point to the end, this movie works better, or even do two main Bond girls. Because I think that the idea of her character is very interesting. They're going to repeat this in Casino Royale with you know, the, the mistress or the wife of the villain uh, trying to get in with Bond. And you know, is she actually with him or is she just playing along with uh, Columbo or, you know, in Casino Royale, the uh, Le Chief, but, uh, or Demetrius. But it's such a good idea that they did use it again. And I think they handle it well in both movies. And uh, Cassandra Harris, Mrs. Brosnan, I mean, where would James Bond be without her? So at the very least, I mean, I think that she's good in this movie. But at the very least, imagine what happens. We get to Goldeneye and they had never met Pierce Brosnan visiting his wife on the set. Uh, that deserves some credit right there. Yeah, that would be Sam Neill back again. Um, Roger Moore probably would still be brought <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah, like uh, Roger can do it. Old or something. James Brolin. <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, imagine Roger Moore and Goldeneye. <laughs> Bring your pardon, Sonny Jim forgot to knock. <laughs> <laughs> it's called, uh, uh, what was it? A Spectre. I think it's called. No more um, for play. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I think Colin, you kind of touched on it. Well, is one of my problems with this film is it? It has so much potential. Like, um, have uh, Melina is so much potential for one of the best Bond girls based on her backstory and her crossbow. Um, and then with this plot twist, I think. I, that's one of my favourite parts of the film is the whole Columbo's the bad guy. Oh, wait, it's Christatos. So I, I agree. It's such a, a great dynamic that we don't often see. But at the same time, it hasn't been developed. Like, we've heard this name Columbo, but then we don't really... Like, the first time we see him is the time we find out he's a good guy. So it's kind of like, uh, um, Like, maybe if Locke was the good guy or something, like a character who we've been watching for the past whatever um and christatos like he just never seems like a villain or a good guy he's just there like i think maybe i'm misquoting you ben but when we talked about it a few weeks ago i thought i think you said that christatos made a better ally than a villain or someone said that um so yeah this film has so much potential and then the countess lisi or liesel if you want to say her <laughs> real name um 
is I, I enjoy her character, but I feel like you could probably ditch BB and no. maybe expand more <laughs> on this character. And she's kind of a bit Andrea Anders almost. And there is something here that they're kind of creeping on, but it's just because of the time and so much going on in this film is you just kind of miss that. So she definitely has potential, but it kind of falls flat. Um, and then the casino scene I really enjoy, like, and where we find out all this stuff. I think it's a good casino scene. Uh, I don't think it's in on Naboo, but I have not checked. It's, yeah, look, one thing I will say is that I, I do love the whole who is the villain aspect to it. And, you know, Christatos, oh, he's a good guy. Oh, wait, no, he's not. And, oh, Columbo, he's a bad guy. Oh, wait, he's not. And this is really the first time we've kind of had this in Bond, and we obviously have this a few more times going into the future. Um, and it's 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 good. It's plot twist, but it's exciting. And this is what I, I really do like about this film, is the fact that you've kind of got this whole story of revenge of one girl that kind of connects her up with Bond and, um, you know, <laughs> here I go. In Die Another Day, like, uh, he manages to uh, get connected, of course, with Jinx, and it kind of all connects together and everything. I just I just brought that... Not any segue into that film. Because... We haven't played this song yet. Right, okay, I had to just get that in there because it's been two hours and we haven't played it yet. But I just, I like the way they kind of do this and sort of make it as a different element of uh, tension throughout it. And again, coming off Moonraker, really serious side of it, and it sort of, I think it works. Um, but you're like, no, the Countess wanna... is boring. No, boo. <laughs> like, the only good thing about the Countess is, yes, it, without her, we wouldn't have Brosnan, and I wouldn't be a happy boy in a few more films when we get to the Brosnan films. But, boo, Countess, like, go back to your Von Schlaff. Boo. I, I, first of all, I want it to be known that Ben would rather be in bed with Brosnan than Cassandra Harris. Yes. And <laughs> secondly, uh, well, three, two other things to cover here. One, on the Countess... I should probably save this for the end, but I'm going to propose it now because you mentioned Noah, like that you could have had her instead of BB. And it occurred to me, this movie works even better. And again, I don't mind BB, but if you have, instead of the countess being killed, you have her kind of getting violently taken prisoner. And then you don't see her again until the end at Christados on on the big mountain. Yeah. Yeah. And she's being held hostage. So it makes even more sense for Columbo to be there. And it's not just, you know, this little girl jumping on a trampoline saying, I want to win a gold medal. <laughs> it's like there's a real threat of somebody that needs to be rescued there. Yeah, I really like that. Um, how do we change it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll re-edit it. Uh, I'll get on that this evening. Um, yeah, Plus, I think that I would be to, a huge improvement on the film, actually. I want to quickly mention again that the, the idea of these two, who's the villain, who's the ally, again, came from the other short story that's worked into Fear Eyes Only Here. I think it was Risico, uh, which was, again, the characters, I think their first names were different, but it was Christados uh, and Columbo's characters uh, in that story. And so, again, a great idea of Ian Fleming's that you can't necessarily build a whole movie around, but you can uh, put that in for at least part of the movie. And that, that, that combined with the whole Havelock murder thing they really did stick pretty close to the stories when adapting this. Yeah, this this film is very reliant on story. Like, the actual villain plan, like, A-Tech fetish thing, like, it's not groundbreaking, but they did pay attention to a lot of the stuff here. But do you not feel it would be better if 
we got to see Columbo before we found out he was really mm-hmm. the good guy. Like, I feel like that's where the, the floor is because we'd never seen the guy. And then it's like, well, he's the good guy, I guess. Uh, and then you, you kind of second guess, well, he's telling us he's the good guy, but is he going to turn on Bond halfway mm-hmm. through or something? It's just there's something off about but it. I, I just... You take Locke out of the movie and you make yeah. Columbo the guy that's identified on the identity. Columbo the Locke. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. agree with that bit, that bit. But, but I don't know. I just like the fact that there's just this build-off here in Columbo, Columbo, Columbo. Like, oh, he's an evil prick, and then we get it. And then, I don't know, I don't find it off. I do like the mystery, but there's something there that could be changed. Hmm. Mm. Um, I'm just reading. But here. let's talk about Columbo. Though. Oh, hang on! I'm trust me. I'm getting there. I've almost got a hard on for him as much as I do for BB. But Cassandra <laughs> Harris, Cassandra Harris is Australian. Uh, let's point this out. She was yeah. born in Sydney. She's an Aussie. Another connection. Um, and sadly, sadly, yes, we we obviously yeah brought it out. If you didn't know, Pierce Brosnan. Well, it's the theme of the episode. Well, it is. It's, it's actually quite sad reading about this because uh, Brosnan and her were married. Brosnan was on the set when she was filming this movie. Obviously, that led to Brosnan eventually becoming Bond. But sadly, Cassandra. Sandra Harris died in 1991. She had ovarian cancer. Uh, they were married right up until her death. Brosnan's actually only had one wife since, and it took him, I think, what, 12 years by the looks of things to get another only wife? Only had one wife since. What no, well, like, it's that? Hollywood. Like, usually they're married, like, 38 times. But, but you know, Brosnan got He's married. Was there Sheena disappointment Easton? in your voice when you said that? Like, <laughs> guy only was married once well, after well, this. Well, What's Bro- wrong with him? Brosnan keeps Noah happy because he obviously got over Cassandra 10 years later and remarried, not, you know, 12 <laughs> I years told later. You. It's the 10-year rule. And just for the good news out there, people have relationships. Brosnan is still married to his current wife. But, yeah, and sadly, like, and then Cassandra Harris's daughter um, also died of ovarian cancer um, in 2013. So, very sad. And um, her son, Chris, uh, who is Pierce's adoptive son, uh, then went on to become an assistant director on uh, Goldeneye, Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Enough, and Die Another Day. So there you go. Just I'm just throwing these and I think, connections uh, out there. Am I correct in saying she died before Goldeneye? Yeah, 1991. So um, yeah, which was sad because I think I, some documentary or something like she had a lot of faith that he could be Bond one day or something. Yeah, so sad. quite sad. It is sad. Didn't get to see him obviously play Bond. Fuck Remington Steel. She would have seen him <laughs> if it wasn't. Fucking Remington Steel. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> we meet Columbo. Yes. Yes. Just got to shout out. Oh, we're all universally loving Columbo. Like, we're doing uh, our Roger all Moore's we did was on speed. <laughs> we say Columbo, we're all getting excited. Um, gotta say, probably to this point in the Bond franchise, my favourite ally. And. Oh. Yes. And, no. uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm going to agree with Ben. Yes! Put the same oh, thing. No. And I'm going to put it out there. Up until this point, the greatest ally we've had in James Bond. How does that? How do you like yeah. them apples, Noah Groves? I'm also going to put it out there. Um, Quarrel, <laughs> Karambay, nah. um, Draco. Nah. No, uh, no, I think that's all the good ones. Really. Columbo's Columbo. burning in a ditch somewhere. Karen Bay's dead in a train. Willard White, Baha. Uh, Columbo's still alive. Columbo wins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I just want us to talk about Columbo. I'm not going to talk about any scenes here. Oh, okay, we let's deserve to talk it, about man. him for a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go for it. Um, I don't even, you know, when I first saw this movie again, I've already said how I was down on BB, down on Havelock, uh, down, on, down on Kriegler and Ben Stout. <laughs> Sorry, I got excited. <laughs> I'm hearing down on BB. 
Ben just wants somebody to get with BB already, yeah? <laughs> she's probably... She's lonely how old is she 40. Now no, I'm hook up with her. Now she's the Roger Moore and you're the BB. She's probably in her 60s or 70s. Am I like Sheena Easton trying to hook up with... Sorry. I just got this image of Ben covering himself with the sheets. And then Lynn Holly Johnson, like, see some of your Lynn Holly Johnson, yes, Ben, I'll just buy you an ice cream. <laughs> Don't worry, my still thinks I'm a virgin. All the way back to the beginning of the episode. I'm on the lines, you know, somebody's skiing down the hill. Let's get a drink at the finish line. I want a way to go. I think Louise would approve. <laughs> Ben, ben, you side tracking this episode every ten minutes. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Let's talk about Colombo now. Um, like I said, I mean, I I really d- didn't care for uh, most of the other characters uh, in this movie, despite being a big fan of the movie. And I've never been able to pinpoint. I wish I would have some more insightful here, but I've never been able to pinpoint why Colombo is such a great character. Because we don't really have enough development of him up until this point. Um, the actor, to Paul, I mean, obviously, he's, he's like borderline Hollywood legend at this point. So um, they, they were bringing out somebody with real experience, not like, you know, most of their actors here who were handpicked because they were figure skaters who wanted to act or models who wanted to act. Um, the character is so interesting. I think it it's partly the idea that this could be a villain, but... Topol just has this 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 chemistry with Bond that nobody else has in the movie, and you know he's always eating pistachios. And there's this odd thing in this movie about pistachios where it's constantly being compared to like heroin and stuff. Like this is a hot commodity uh, in this region of the world hot for some pistachio. reason. It's but like why is it illegal? I don't understand why. Um, they're they're smuggling pistachios and he's always eating the pistachios and he's just got so much charisma i i I wish i could still pinpoint why colombo works well because we don't see him as much as we see quarrel and he doesn't have as much significance to the plot outside of this you know little twist who's the villain than somebody like draco but he's so good in this movie i mean he's the star of this movie even over roger moore good call yeah um I'm a huge Columbo fan, but I'm kind of a late-to-the-party Columbo fan. It's only probably this watch and maybe the last watch that I've really appreciated his character. Um, I still think it's a bit of a joke to say that he's better than a Quarrel, Karen Bay, or uh, Mark Ange Draco, but he is definitely up there in all-time greats allies. He's just, as he said, so much charisma coming off Molina um, where there's nothing. There's, it's just... How long has it been since we've had a good Bond ally like J.W. Pepper? Like, <laughs> like the Roger Moore films, they're, they're not known for their great Bond allies compared to um, the Sean Connerys. But he, yeah, so much charisma. I love the fact that he's the villain. but then he, And he is a bit Draco-ish in that he's not a good guy per se. Like He doesn't work for the CIA or anything like that. So he's a bit of an anti-hero, which is cool. But... Just, yeah, the story construction, I did keep thinking, well, when's... I've seen the film, obviously, but, like, when's Columbo going to turn on Bond because he's a bit shifty, but every scene he's in, he lights up uh, the screen. So I'm on board with you guys. I'm a huge Columbo fan. Just not better than the classics, but 
definitely up there and love him. Shame Topple is uh, still kicking as well. He's still alive. Uh, been nominated for an Oscar, a Tony, won two Golden Globe Awards and hasn't appeared in a movie since 1998's classic Left Luggage. Um, so... <laughs> And we'd be happy to have you on the show tomorrow. Absolutely. He came to Australia in 2005 and uh, was in the stage production of Fiddler on the Roof. Um, he was in the movie. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just random facts if you're wondering what Shane's up to these days. Um, but, of course, in this entire sequence... I think it's pronounced Heim, by the I'm way. I'm Shane. Whatever. All right? It's Lazy. <laughs> it's fucking Shane. Shane. <laughs> lazy. Shame, Lizzie Craigler. My clearly, my Hebrew pronunciations haven't been up to standards lately. Um, yeah, Lizzie, that 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 big Hebrew name. You you really love it when I host these, don't you? Like, oh, Ben's hosting Hebrew, it. We call them horsies. <laughs> All right, sorry, let me uh, just uh, go into our interactions for this next scene. My name's James Bond, you're evil. Oh, I'm good. No, he's evil. Oh, okay, let's have a drink. Um, there we go, that's what happens. Uh, we find out Christados is evil, and they share a drink, and by tomorrow we'll be good friends. I'd be good friends with Columbo if I walked into a room with him by tomorrow, we all would be. Um, Bond's a little bit sceptical, so of course... Um, Columbo's got to prove it, so they come out uh, again to Albania, the evil Albania. Um, we find out that Christatos is uh, making heroin in what appears to be newsprint. Uh, those news is passado, but they look like newsprint to me. Um, evil newspapers, <laughs> um, and of course, this is where we also discover um, that they've got some old mines. Oh, maybe it wasn't an accident that the boat got blown up. Da-da, plot twist. Um, and then we get a whole action sequence, uh, Locke's there, the evil bastard blowing up shit, um, everyone survives essentially, and then we get, oh god, I love this movie, but this scene is just ridiculous, um, Locke's escaping in a car, and somehow Bond, like 80 year old Roger Moore, can run up about 500 steps, and catch Locke in a motor vehicle, (laughs) What the hell? Shoots him in the shoulder. That's the shit bit. Then we get the good bit, of course, of um, Locke hanging over a cliff in a car and we get bastard Bond going back to uh, Spy Who Love Me tie moments um, and, yeah, killing him off and kicking him off the cliff. Um, so, yeah, it's it's entertaining. It's shit. And then it's entertaining again. Um, well, I like the whole raid on Christodos's boat. There's a lot of really good action bits in there. Again, you guys can argue this later on, but I found it really interesting looking for the kill count and finding oh. that Roger Moore doesn't really kill anybody in this. It's everybody else who's doing all the killing. Oh, well, right, we'll have the argument later. Uh, <laughs> uh, it'll be an argument. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Everyone's rolling their eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> the raid on the boat's really good. Uh, and the scene with Locke, again, it would be so much better if we had some development with Locke up until the point, but. This scene is really important, and I don't think it's necessarily Hall of Fame worthy, but at the same time, when you ask people about Free Your Eyes Only, almost anybody will mention this kill as being what's known now as like the coldest, most heartless kill Bond ever had. You know, just kicking him right off the cliff. It, it's a very famous scene, and it's played really well. Would be better with somebody who, I don't know, spoke in the scene with him, um, but... 
you know, maybe Dude, Kriegler. Whisper. <laughs> yeah. Don't if, kill me. What? If he was, <laughs> if, he, if he was kicking BB off the cliff, what? maybe this would have worked. Kick you off. Kick <laughs> your hair on. But uh, I, I, I do really like the sequence. Again, like, this is where the movie really picks up. I think from the point with the Countess on, it gets better and just keeps getting better from this point on. And, you know, having Bond into Paula's allies and even though it's clear, especially having seen the movie, that to, that um, uh, what's that? I was going to call him Shame, or Shame, as you called him, uh, <laughs> uh, Columbo? Columbo. There we go. You forgot Columbo. Uh, oh, come off it, I forgot Colin. Uh, well, you Columbo. should be getting on people uh, about names. <laughs> yeah, I, I might mispronounce him, but I don't forget Columbo. <laughs> I'm also the guy who was calling him Nash for the second half of <laughs> for Russia with Love. <laughs> but it still does play in a way where there is some suspense. Like, is he going to all of a sudden turn a gun on Bond? I think it's pretty clear that Christodos is the villain at this point. But they're still toying with it a little bit here. So uh, I love these two scenes. And especially the killing of Locke would be instantly Hall of Fame if he was killing somebody who mattered, like uh, BB or something. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I Why? said I don't want to be with you. <laughs> You're not winning a gold medal. <laughs> Jesus! That's how BB died in this. I'm not a pedophile. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> no means no. Um, nobody can ever find out I slept with a 14 year old. Boom. <laughs> that would, plot twist. Um, I, that would be really uh, up it if that was BB. Oh, <laughs> uh, you've Bond got to re-edit That would be Bond's coldest kill. If <laughs> I'm just picturing Lynn Ollie Johnson in the car over the side of the cliff. Um, uh, yeah, well. Like the ice cream <laughs> I, I don't battles. think your uncle Ari would approve <laughs> um, I'm not a virgin yeah. <laughs> there's going to be more arguments with not just the kill count but the hall of fame because I'm just going to say it now this will be in the hall of fame um, I love the boat chase and the dockyards I think it's a great fight I love the nighttime, the raid uh, probably be some arguments there but it's such a great kind of battle good to have one of them uh, Columbo's there as well um, or Columbo as Ben would probably say um. <laughs> I'm not having a stroke halfway through me saying it <laughs> Columbo um yeah, I'm surprised you didn't call Lock Lock Locky. Um, <laughs> I was going to call him. Yeah, Bibi. the running ra- Bibi. <laughs> Bebe. <laughs> um, the running o- o- after the car is a bit silly, but it would have made sense if he got with uh, Bibi because she said it builds muscle tone, so that would have made sense. Um, the 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 kill um, is yes yeah, so cold and of course Roger Moore was against it he thought it was too cold for Bond I think it's great I will fight for it for the Hall of Fame it's a bit lame that it's Locke uh, this character who doesn't talk that we spent so much time on who's a nothing but it, it's really cool and the atmosphere like the kind of dusk dawn kind of thing there is, is so great it's really cool uh, only made better if it was BB the um. 
God. <laughs> Poor BB. Um, now, I'm going to lump a few of these bits together because we're just getting so sidetracked in this episode. We're going to be for eight hours at this point. Um, so, after this, Bond is back with uh, Mustacha on the Havelock's yacht. Havelock's whatever. Hotel. Um, Havelock's hotel. The hotel, yes. Bond's trying to find out, of course, uh, a bit more information. Um, They've discovered in his journal that um, he's been diving somewhere. Why hasn't Melina looked at this before? Like, why? Like, she's been. How long has she been on this boat for? Waiting for Bond? Maybe got to be bored, read a journal. Oh, guess what, James? I discovered. Oh, no, I'll wait for you to ask me the question. She's, she's quick to just go back on the boat where, like, the death places of both. <laughs> it's a crime scene. So, like, there's still a bit of dried blood on that <laughs> Have boat. the Albanian police clean this? Like, you know, like, is there a bit of a dad's brains in the corner or something like that? Like, yeah, like, she's very brave. This is my father's brain. Um, <laughs> so then they discover, of course, um, they've got to go in this little mini submarine and find, um, sub. the Bartho sub, um, where of course they discover the wreckage of the St. George. We get, um, this lovely little scene of them out in their little, um, Darth Vader suits and they're followed by even <laughs> bigger Darth Vader suits and... Oh, this fight is just strange. <laughs> We're getting, like, weirdo people fighting. I will say, there's there's actually a fair bit of tension in this scene. Like, it's... it's I was... There's a few jump scares coming out of this with the shark and, you know, things like this. And then we've got, obviously, um, first-person shooter view of Guy coming through the wreckage trying to, like, come after Bond and Mustacha. Like, I'm going to shave your top lip. Um, and then, oh, come on. <laughs> you started the joke. You can't complain. We're just running. Yeah, but it. she doesn't really have a muscle. Um, and then eventually we get the bomb blows up. See you, Darth Vader. Um, and then they come up to the surface and dun, 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 plot twist. Christatos is on the boat and is um, <laughs> ready and waiting for them. Maybe I'll stop there because there's a fair bit to cover there. My favourite um, part of this whole sequence is when they're in the little Bartho sub. Look at the ray! And they smile at each other. Like, he's a shit about the fucking ray. Like, wow. Killed Steve Irwin. Get the fuck over it. Oh, didn't know you had such an aversion to rays. Well, they killed an Australian icon. All Australians hate stingrays. Stupid kangaroo uh. bum. <laughs> Not Steve Irwin, the right. I'm sure if a fucking moose killed Wayne Gretzky, all Canadians would hate mooses. And they would also be questioning why there was a, a moose at the deep depths of the ocean in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> it's Albania. Yeah, that's why Bond... That's why Bond has never actually come to Canada in the movies, because all they really have is the evil... <laughs> the Wayne Gretzky murdering moose. <laughs> uh, I, I have a ton of stuff to cover in this se- sequence, because... All of this underwater stuff is so good. Uh, I don't necessarily know if the underwater photography is as spectacular as what we saw in um, Thunderball, and I don't know if the sequence itself is as imaginative as File Love Me, but I mean, as a whole, this underwater stuff works so good. Like, the mini-sub is really great. I love Darth Vader coming to them in the water, like you said. Uh, I think you nailed it when you said it is a little bit ridiculous, but there is a lot of tension there. Uh, I love just the the tension with the breathing you just see this breathing and then you see this claw suit coming towards them and the funniest stuff in here though is bond himself and i don't think it was intentional where he's telling her right before they go in it's like conserve your oxygen and then he's like only speak when necessary <laughs> remind me of that simpsons episode with homer and mr burns stuck in the cabin it's like 
you can only speak when absolutely, positively necessary. <laughs> Don't say anything unless it is the most important thing you will ever say. Because <laughs> that's all Bond does in this movie. He says conserve his oxygen, and then he's, he gives a one line. He's like, I hope he was dining alone. <laughs> he starts reading the instructions for the ATAC out loud. It's like, to dislodge ATAC, <laughs> release this lever, like... Bond does nothing but talk in this. Like, what about his oxygen? Um, this whole sequence could have been the climax for the movie, I think. It's that good. Uh, I imagine that if you would put this at the end of Man with the Golden Gun or Diamonds Are Forever or Live and Let Die, then we are talking about those as some of the best climaxes of the movie. Um, the, the Darth Vader claw suit's just fantastic in this, and uh, it does go on for a while, but I think it's really good. My favorite part of this, though, again, is just, as I was watching, I thought of a missing one-liner where uh, Bond bumps into something, and she's like, careful, James, that's 500 years old. And I just really wanted Roger Moore to go, what a coincidence, so am I. <laughs> um, yeah, this underwater scene, um, like, we thought the fighting in Thunderball was slow. <laughs> like, not to say I don't like it, but it's just this big, bulky, like, Sea uh, guy who just pops up and is just so slow, and it's like just swim away. The diamonds um, are forever. School of uh, henchmen coming after people. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was the same guy who worked with Professor Doctor Metz. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I I don't mind the underwater stuff in here. Personally, I like. I think it came before this scene though. Was uh, Bond and Melina swimming in the underwater like ruined city? I think all those shots look really cool, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is an okay scene that I feel like, again, this film could drop 15 to 20 minutes worth of footage and make a stronger film, so I feel like some of it could go, but it, it's fun. Where was this filmed, Colin? You've been there. In the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, almost Naboo. all underwater footage they filmed in the Bahamas. <laughs> Naboo. Yes, it was Naboo. <laughs> yeah. That's where what Colin was went. Phantom Menace one where they go um, through the war? Uh, no one knows about Gungan the Phantom Menace. <laughs> what did I even ask? Yeah, when Bond bumps into the careful, James, that's 500 years old. And Jar's like, no, it's a 600 years old. Then you get, what, Why are you talking about JW? What's his name in the background going, oh, <laughs> 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 What's his name? Um, Let's not talk about the Phantom. Jar Jar? No, the, the boss of the Gungan. Uh, boss, the other boss, guy. Nass. boss Nass, that's it. Yeah. That's always a bigger fish. Um, all right, speaking of fish, um, they're back on the boat. Uh, Christatos has the ATAC. He's going to sell it to the Soviets, that bastard. Um, and, of course, the easiest way of killing uh, Bond and Mustacha isn't to just put a couple of rounds in the back of their head hire a plane to fly down and shoot them cold blood. No, let's tie them to some giant rope and just drag them through the frickin' water. Um, like, okay, you're evil. Let's do evil things. But again, Austin Powers calls. They want to parody this movie. I wonder why. Um, so, yes, we get this whole dragging sequence, and conveniently they still have plenty of space to jump up and get some oxygen because, you know, they probably could have drowned in this whole sequence. Um, eventually Bond snaps the line. They happen to find them, you know, the magical scuba tank that Melina just happened to have left behind before. Um, and then we get the... The day sex bucking our scuba tank. The, um, we get the, of course, ever-assuming Christatos. Oh, they must be dead. Like, let's just drive off. Um, you know, never search for them, whatever. Um, and then they get back to the boat. 
And who is there that gives them the information? It just happens to be a parrot. Now, again, have we gone back to Moonraker, that the star of this film that helps them find out where they've got to kill the evil bastard of this movie is a freaking parrot. I want somebody to edit a pigeon at this point, double-taking that a parrot, <laughs> the parrot says, Oh, St. Cyril's! St. Cyril's! <laughs> Uh, I I actually put the same thing in here about the the, the pigeon that we <laughs> I think we we talked about Guy Hamilton having his thing for grannies with machine guns or whatever. Um, John Glenn's thing is definitely birds because we have doves, we have pigeons, we have parrots. The guy really has a thing for and birds. On the and I'm interested as well. There's the jump scare bird <laughs> with yeah with the the bird on the cliff too. Uh, I, I like that you mentioned the Christados just saying, uh, oh, don't worry, the sharks have him, because I actually wrote in my notes here how indifferent Christados is to everything. Like, that's one of the things that takes him down a little bit as a villain, because anything that happens, like, the henchman falls into the water, and he just goes, ah, just leave him. <laughs> like, that's all he, he does. He says it exactly like that. Ah, just leave him. Bond doesn't come up for, like, a minute and a half. He's like, ah, oh, the sharks have him. Let's go. Like, he's so indifferent to everything. Like, let's have a decisive villain here who's like, no, we got to kill him for sure, you know? Laziest villain but ever. The, <laughs> yeah, he's very lazy. Uh, but I really love this sequence. And this was the climax of the novel Live and Let Die. And I don't know if, again, they just ran out of budget in Live and Let Die because there's no way that they read the Live and Let Die novel and said this wouldn't work in a movie because this is, again, just like the last sequence, even more so, you could have climaxed for your eyes only, and this was the last action scene, and it works perfectly. Uh, I love the underwater photography. I love the fact that Bond's getting dragged everywhere, it, it ruined a little bit by Christados not really caring, and the fact that when Bond and Melina come out of the water, they're probably only 20 feet away from the boat and nobody's looking at them. Like, <laughs> they probably should have at least waited, but the whole sequence, it's so good to see something that is in the Bond novels come back. And this is something they're going to do throughout the next couple of movies. They're going to reuse unused stuff from the, the novels. And it's great to have Ian Fleming stuff in there still. And the parrot is fantastic. I, I wrote in my notes that the parrot is officially a Bond ally. Um, <laughs> this bon isn't girl. like the pigeon. <laughs> yeah, No, but this isn't like the pigeon where we're joking saying, you know, oh, this is my favorite Bond ally. The pigeon actually does solve the problem of the movie. Yeah. I mean, the pigeon, Still a better ally than Quarrel Jr. <laughs> yeah, and this movie only reaches the end because of a parrot. And that's actually kind of funny if you think about it. Because You're not Bond helping spent... the case for this film. <laughs> well, Bond spent this entire movie trying to solve this mystery of the ATAC, the mystery of Locke, the mystery of is it Columbo or Christados. But really all it comes down to is that a parrot tells him, Sir Charles, air attack, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we might as well listen to the parrot. And then the movie gets on. Voiced by Nicky Van It's kind of fun. <laughs> There's no <laughs> way this Nicky parrot Vanders- could just be speaking gibberish. <laughs> what if the parrot was like, St. Gerald's, ATAC, gotta do a poo, 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 do, 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 do. He's gone off to St. Cyril's and it's just the parrot speaking gibberish. Meanwhile, like, Christatos has blown up North Dakota. Like. <laughs> Seriously, um, it, it, it is a bit dumb that they would do that t- kind of torture thing, like just shoot them, like get the plane. We saw how that worked, kamikaze pilots. But it, yeah, it's a cool scene, like cool visuals. And like, I feel like it's a memorable moment. Um, I've done water skiing before in the past and I've been dragged along in the water like that. And it really does suck. You like swallow the whole sea. Um 
if you hold on to the ropes and don't let go. Uh, although in my case, it was not torture. I was voluntarily holding on and not letting go. So I'm an idiot. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a cool scene. But if, again, few issues. Again, Christatos just, in my eyes, a horrible villain uh, for Bond. And I don't mean that in a, he's a real bad guy. I mean that in, hands down, one of the worst and most bland and just stupid main villains. But I, I like the scene, even though it's silly. And then the parrot, like, I think Colin summed it up, and I was talking about this, is maybe not helping this film, but a parrot <laughs> leads them away to the climax and saves the day in the end, which, again, like, could have been speaking gibberish. It's a parrot. But anyway, I, I don't mind the parrot too much. Well, but if you read on Jane's Bomb Wiki, the description at this point is, the two make it back to their yacht and hear her father's parrot reveal the destination of the ATAC. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? Oh, my goodness. Um, now, just quickly, we get um, this scene with Bond and Q. Um, I've written here, I've written wedding sweeping granny. Um, so we've still got grannies. Um, we get the the lovely little granny penny. Granny, no, 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 not quite that old. Um, but we get this oh. lovely. I love. I mean, it's a pointless scene, and there's obviously a few questions raised about why the hell is Bond going to confessional, and it just happens to be Q and whatever. But um, give me father, for I have seen. Well, that's putting it mildly. 007. Oh, so good. Um, and then of course we find out, of course, that there are over three hundred locations of St. Cyril's in Greece, like fuck, like I'd hate to live in a place called St. Cyril's in Greece. They'd get that mixed up in the Greek post office a little bit. Hey, where's St. Cyril's? Which one? Um, Italians in Greek, they work in the post <laughs> office. Like a lot of Italian migrants come over to work in the Greek postal system. Um, but of course, the, the reason this scene was put in there was um, really lack of M. Um, no M, sadly, no Bernard, so they needed a little bit of extra here, and we get a bit more Desmond. I mean, I'm not complaining about more Desmond, but do we really need to have random Q scene in a church? The most random Q scene ever, but it's still funny. Yeah, well, why is Q there? That's a really interesting question. Um, it's one of my favourite Q lines, at the very least, and having him in the disguise is kind of funny, and the whole forgive me, Father Fry I've sinned, I mean, that's like, I think one of the iconic Q lines ever, though, that's putting it mildly 007. Um, I really wish now that there would have been a scene where, you know, Bond's delivering them. It's like, okay, this is what we found out. Cristados is the real villain. He's smuggling heroin. He has the attack. He tried to kill us in the water. Then a parrot told us to go to St. Cyril's. <laughs> and I think Q's like, a parrot 007? Seriously? And he pulls out the identograph. It's like, describe the parrot from Bond. Blue and yellow and red. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, this is Pete. <laughs> it's a big, uh, not a banana. Yeah, but like, like you said, I mean, I don't know if this scene was necessary because we just went through some very serious scenes, and I, I said I wasn't going to have any more complaints about the second half of the movie. It is a very mild complaint, but we have this kind of no fun pun intended. You. We have this fun Mild scene complaint. with Hugh right after these two major action scenes, and we're about to go into probably the most serious climax any James Bond movie has had since, you know, uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service for sure, maybe even uh, more so than that. And you can go as far back as from Russia with Love, but uh, it's still a fun scene just for the one-liner from Hugh. I don't have too much more to add. That maybe uh, just a bit of case of ours getting on our. Um, 
reviewer and critic hats, but if you just like think about it and oh, not think about it, then it's a funny scene. So I'll, I'll forgive that. Um, no pun intended. Also, because it is a funny scene, even though it makes zero sense for Q being there. Clearly, we're just um, all trying to be Jeremy Black and um, <laughs> really <laughs> the esteemed uh, scholar Jeremy Black. Um, now we get to see St. Cyril's. Uh, I like this setting. It's great. This minis- monastery, ministry, monastery. Um, Cleasy lives in the ministry. <laughs> back with shame. Um, massive cliff face. It's, it's, it's amazing location. Um, only, you can only access it by a weird pulley basket thing. So Bond turns into cliffhanger, vertical limit. Um, Got to go up this ginormous mountain. Uh, we get jump scare birds. It's a very jump scary film. This one, right? Um, they're feeding off uh, what was it, Corinne and the dogs, the horror movie <laughs> from the last film that was so successful. Yes. Um, we get this whole sequence, and we get a lot of sort of cuts between um, Christatos and BB. Oh, we get some classic BB moments. I wanna win the gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> Christados coming oh, on I to BB, you're too old for me. Like, really? You try to hook up with Bond before? I'm sure his pubes are just as grey. Um, and then we... <laughs> He's her uncle. <laughs> they're wanting to move. And didn't she say before that he does anything for me? Like, clearly, like they've implied they've hooked up before. Um, then I love... My favourite bit, and this just reminded me of you two, was like, we're going to move to Cuba. Cuba? I'm thinking, like, that's Colin and Noah going, oh, Cuba. Yes, exactly. They don't even, like, die another day. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, like, Baja? <laughs> Why Cuba? Like, oh, anyway. Um, and then, of course, we get um, Bond eventually reaching the top. Um, gets up. Everybody else comes up in the little basket. And then we kind of, we're into the... Uh, <laughs> The, the finale, the sequence, the big battle at the end, which actually turns out really to be Columbo versus Christatos. It's more Bond versus... Gogo on a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> the... Remember him? <laughs> it's more Bond versus Krygler, or a throwback to Bond versus Hans. And then, um, <laughs> they should have had a flashback to You Only Live Twice. This reminds me. Like in Moonraker when he has that random little flashback. Yeah. Oh, right, my wrist. Um, and then, of course, this is all sort of cut to, yeah, go Google on a helicopter. Um, and then it all... <laughs> it all c- c- it basically... After leaving the Soviet, he moved to Silicon Valley, oh, where Google founded a search engine, which went on. To- <laughs> and uh, let me just quickly go over this scene in the way that we should be describing it. For your eyes only, and that's how it ends. <laughs> uh, no need to say anything. I think Ben covered it all there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this. Again, I I love that each sequence here just works so well. And this whole climax is so different from what we've seen from a Bond movie. We have this great location. It's not like a massive set that they construct. Once you get inside of it, it looks pretty ordinary. But just the idea that the villain is living in a castle on the top of a mountain. I mean, it's such a Bond idea. Uh, It was pulled off really well. The mountain climbing stuff is great. I mean, the, the stunts are phenomenal here again. You know, we have our one big stunt. You know, we're not really at the level of 
uh, the skydiving stunt or the, the car flip or the, uh, the boats uh, jump or the ski jump. But it's still like there's this massive drop when he's uh, attached to his cable or whatever, which got to be like over a hundred feet. It's just a crazy stunt. And I love the whole mountain climbing thing. It's, it's slower than what we've had. There's not a lot of music that's being played. Uh, you get some cool kills with bond and the knife. And then the guy, uh, the tension of the guy uh, trying to knock bonds uh, grapples out and then getting thrown off. I mean, I love that whole sequence. Once you get to the top of the mountain, I mean, I, I, again, a minor complaint here, but if we had had more time spent on Cristados versus um, Colombo, I almost forgot his name. Again. Oh, Colin! Uh, shame. Uh, cha- shame versus Cristados <laughs> here. <laughs> it would have been a little bit better. And if Bond versus Kriegler, like, it's basically death by lamp pole, I think, is what he killed him by. He's holding a giant brick above his head and he pushes him out a window. But it is really good. I, I, I do wish that BB had had some significance here. Like we said, if it was the Countess here, Lisi, uh, <laughs> it would have worked a lot better. Really? Jumping up and down a trampoline, I want to win a gold medal. it got to be one of the most obnoxious moments in Bond movie history. <laughs> Takes you a little bit out of the tension of this massive <laughs> climax here. But the very final moment is what I love the best here. We, we have this great action scene. First of all, I just want to quickly say the idea that if this were a Lewis Gilbert movie, we would have this giant army that Bond is leading versus this giant army that Christados has on the top of the mountain. And it somehow works so much better here just being this close-knit group of Bond allies who have all had character development. You know, you have Melina, you have Columbo. Uh, it's like Honor Majesty's Secret Service. You're a small group of people. And going smaller scale on this movie really worked for it. And I would argue that the climax here is just as good as what we saw in Spy Who Loved Me or Moonraker. In some ways, uh, I think it's the best climax we'll have for the entire decade of the 80s. Oh, um, now hang the, on. I, don't bring up a clown suit. Semi-trailer uh, scene. <laughs> no, no, Golden no, Gate no Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'll take this over the Golden Gate. Uh, I'll give my reasons why when we get there and do movies or three movies, but... The final moment with Gogol in the helicopter, like, I just love this. Gogol is somebody we've seen very briefly in Moonraker, so he's not really established as a recurring character, but this is where it starts, and he'll appear more times after this. And I just love this moment that we have this kind of average villain who's been killed, this average henchman, and it all comes down to Gogol, and it, it kind of makes sense. And then when Bond throws the attack off the cliff, and Gogol just gets, smiles and gives him this look. So, and you just want that line. It's like, until we meet next time, Mr. Bond. Like, it's just this polite rivalry between them that's really interesting. So I love that Climax is actually about Gogol and nobody else. Um, yeah, well, I was expecting Gogol to be a bit more of a douche. Like, where's M? Oh, wait. Um, like, <laughs> like, he he, he like, really is out of the Lotus. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> He's on leave, I hear. Leave. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, like, you think, like, the Soviet Union uh, or the KGB leader would be happy to see that the MI6's leader is on leave. But anyway, um, I really love the cliff sequence. I think that's probably one of the best, well, definitely one of the best moments of the film. I love the idea that to get to the, um, to get to the villain's final hideout you don't drop a big silver ball into the ocean and then roll across water to get there you have to use your like 
I really they could have flown a helicopter in like Google did. I guess it's a bit more uh, conspicuous that way, but I think it's so great, so much atmosphere, jump scares with the pigeons and the other guys. So, and again, that's another real stunt that they did. So, um, shame on you, kite surfing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just side note: me and Ben watched that the other day in, <laughs> on his big massive TV in, on Blu-ray. <laughs> Hey, hey, hang on a minute. not help her. You were the one that were like, Blu-ray, Blu-ray, oh, let's put on Die Another Day. Oh, okay, this probably holds up. And then we're watching, we're watching the hovercraft sequence, and you're like, wow, it actually looks like we're watching this for real. Like, Noah was, like, shitting himself in excitement. There <laughs> goes your we got to the kite Noah. surfing scene. Uh, well, can I just say, Ben is a huge lie, because I never said, let's put on Die Another Day. <laughs> I might have stretched the truth with that bit, but you did say that about <laughs> the hovercraft sequence. Yeah, it looked great until we watched the um, kite surfing bit and we were in laughter when it falls over the cliff. But anyway, we'll get to and that. And even I was hopefully laughing. Never. I wasn't, I wasn't defending. I don't defend that thing, <laughs> all right? Yeah, no, the Blu-ray didn't help it. But <laughs> the climax, I think it is a bit anticlimactic in ways, but it is better than what we've seen in the past. I do agree. I like what Colin said. It's more Team Columbo than it is a whole army, and I prefer... Spy Love Me, Whole Army. But for this one, a more toned-down film, I think it works. Uh, it's still not up there with Spy Love Me uh, by any means, in my opinion. Um, and again, BB and the trainer has just kind of lets it down. Um, some more great Columbo moments. Uh, Melina's a non-entity, as always. Um, and then the Gogol thing. I'm, I've got mixed opinions on Gogol, but I think it works. But really, the KGB leader would be like... Mm shooting James Bond right there and then, but whatever. Like, I'm not going to get into the realism of these movies because that's what I hate most when people talk about the realism of James Bond. But um, it is kind of funny to see Dogal like, oh, remember him? Here's a helicopter up here. He's here just in time. But it's a nice little ending to the film. Well, not quite the ending. We'll get to that. But So to summarise, I love the cliff stuff. The climax, not my favourite, but hands down, not the worst. It's got its moment. All right, just want to quickly uh, make sure that I timestamp that moment where Noah said, I hate it when people debate about the realism of James Bond films, so that when we talk about the invisible car, I can play that over and over again. Doesn't mean I don't think things are shit. (laughs) (laughs) And can I also just point out, the worst special feature in the history of James Bond Blu-rays and DVDs is on the Die Another Day disc. There is a special feature which is simply... My name is Bond. James Bond. That's it. That's a special feature. Why do you want to see that bit again? Anyway, um, a couple of things that I did point out here that I've written down on my notes. I love the fact that, like, BB is waving at all the guards and they're all, like, waving back. Like, she is hooking up with everybody up there. (laughs) And I also love the bit where they're they're all going up with the basket and um, the guy gets shot in the chest with the the dart or the crossbow. And he's like... Oh, oh, oh. And Bond's like, shut him up. He has an arrow in his chest. Like, the guy's in pain. <laughs> Just kill him. Put him out of his misery. Um, and yeah, the whole... The, it does annoy me slightly that basically they're all trying to find um, the ATAC and at the end of the day it just gets dropped off a cliff. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. I think that's a great ending to the movie. Oh, I don't know. It's a bit shit. But <laughs> that mean Bond failed his mission there. <laughs> like, does Tanner get on? He didn't to him? get the ATEC back. That ATEC cost millions of dollars, James. 
You're fired. <laughs> we needed it back. And then you see like some pigeon picking it up and flying off and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Double tick pigeon. Yeah. Anyway, all right, we're back to um, the the final bit where finally, for some reason, all the sexual tension that has been building up between Mustacha and Bond, we finally get it solved when they're back on Havelock's hotel and um, we get a phone call. We get Skype again. We talked about this back in You Only Live Twice, but it's on a... They've got... James Bond has the very first Apple Watch, okay? He is able to call people and, um, oh, look, it's a phone call from the Prime Minister. And for the very first time in Bond history, we actually have a cameo from the Prime Minister, sort of. Uh, <laughs> just the real Margaret Thatcher just needed to be a Bond Can girl. I just actually say I honestly thought it was her? Like, <laughs> Jenna Brown that plays, like... Yeah, she does a good job. She was apparently well known for doing um, parodies and impersonations of it. Does a bloody good job. Really good. Although, the fact that at the end of the day, we see the Prime Minister of England performing domestic duties <laughs> whilst... Slapping her husband, so she's domesticated. She's domestic abusing her husband, and then she's flirting with Dennis's face. Flirting with James Bond, <laughs> um, which is hilarious because, of course, realistically, Bond is hooking up with Mustache, and the parrot is talking. And then we get skinny dipping, and then of course we get the end, and we see um, silhouetted naked people swimming through the water. Um, and uh, James Bond will return in Octopussy. So, there we go. Um, I think it's a decent conclusion. We could have probably gone without the Margaret Thatcher scene. <laughs> I'm, very dis- I'm very disappointed we didn't get Tony Blair calling um, James Bond at the end of Die Another Day and Halle Berry hanging up. Flirting with him? Something like that. We're going to have an Obama cameo at the end of um, Spectre. Um so, yes, that's the end. This is the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll agree that the, I, I do like the Margaret Thatcher scene. I think this is something that the Roger Moore movies did really well. And sometimes people complain about it. It's like, oh, it always has that goofy ending where Bond kind of gets, you know, discovered. Uh, but it's what the movies are known for. And you can't say that any of these scenes are bad. They're all kind of funny. This is a step down from the spy who loved me, you know, keeping the British end up and the the Moonraker uh, attempting re-entry. It doesn't have that one big moment, but again, it's a fun scene, and I like. I actually like that Margaret Thatcher's doing the the dishes or whatever she's doing because it just makes her husband look like the biggest boob ever. Because I think more than anything, they did that scene to take a shot at him because he just comes across as so dumb, like he's getting slapped and. He does this weird look and he turns to the camera and smiles like as if he's the only one who knows he's in a movie. It's like, hello, I am the husband of the prime minister. Um, (laughs) Dennis. Yeah, that's right. His name was Dennis. Uh, But the final scene with Bond and Melina, uh, it's it's just your typical Bond scene. It's kind of cool that they're in the water. We get some more underwater photography. The parrot was a nice touch in there. The joke probably went on a little bit too long here. I like just the one punchline that we had before with, you know, the keeping the British end up and everything. It would have been better with that. But I still think this is a great scene. It's not the worst of the Roger Moore gets discovered having sex scenes. Um, Episode title, not the worst of Roger Moore getting discovered having sex scenes. But yeah, not I find the, them taking the clothes off really awkward. Um, I don't think it works very well. And it's like... You barely know this girl, and there's been no chemistry. But anyway, um, 
I'm going to be the unpopular one here and to everyone listening. I hate the Margaret Thatcher scene so much. Um, I'm all for Goofy Bond. I love attempting re-entry, uh, keeping the British on end up, all that stuff. Even double take pinches and I can stomach and it's Aww. funny in an ironic way. This, think about it. Um, Margaret Thatcher is at home talking to a parent. That is the end of this film. I'm sorry, you that just offended the, Double Take Pigeon and think that this bit's unrealistic. This, I didn't say anything about realism or anything like that. You're you're blurring realistic with you have to love it or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're making me angry now. Um, it's the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't start that one. Okay. <laughs> um, so this is just so not funny. Like it's supposed to be a joke, and the thing is, they're bringing this film back to earth. Like we talked about, how this is supposed to be the more realism bond. The people say, "Oh, this is the closest you ever got to Fleming and stuff like that." And then it's so bizarre for them to tack on this at the end. And for me personally, it doesn't work. I don't find it funny at all. Margaret Thatcher is talking to a, a parrot, uh, going "Thank you, thank you, no, thank you, Bond." Like it's somehow, just, yeah. somehow, when Noah says Margaret Thatcher talking to a pit, uh, parrot, it's funnier to me than actually seeing it in the movie. <laughs> I think mean, Noah's going to mess I, his I, stick up his ass at this point. He sounds so, like disgusted. Oh, Margaret Thatcher talking no, to because a pigeon? No, I see like these, these like lists of top 10 and most embarrassing or worst bond of course die another day is up there but you see all these different lists and that and this is never on there and it blows my mind because this is one of the most embarrassing bond moments and you have like the beach boys in there which i'm just gonna say i like that scene Uh, screw you (laughs) um and all these other double tape pigeon which is ridiculous but still funny but then this is never there, and it blows my mind. Why not? Um, I don't find it funny at all, except for Dennis. I think that's hilarious, just with his <laughs> face that he's got looking at the camera, <laughs> kind of breaking the fourth wall, and then her slapping him is quite funny. But, yeah, um, I, I hate to be the grouch, but I really do hate this scene. I don't think it works at all. Um, I would rather Bombay in space. Oh, fuck by the way i just want to give a little bit of trivia here i just looked up uh the actor who plays dennis thatcher here john wells previously appeared in 1967 in casino royale as q's assistant i don't know sharon Sharon. yeah he might be sharon Sharon. that's what happens when you don't lock up like you turn old (laughs) anyway margaret thatcher's gone we'll never have to talk about that scene again Rest in, rest in peace, Margaret. Um, so, there we go. Only. For your eyes only. Um, that was an interesting recap. I wasn't expecting that to quite turn away. Apologies if we rushed over a few things there. Probably people listening this is what oh, happens when we go on hiatus. That, that epic scene, the, the finale, they wrapped that up in like three minutes and spent like 20 minutes talking about how to pronounce shame or whatever his name is. I am. Horses and fucking BB. <laughs> Um, Sound effects. (laughs) Before we get to our closing list and everything, final thoughts on For Your Eyes Only. Uh, As I said at the top, I 
I really like this film, um, and I I might be the only one here that think it may be slightly improved on this rewatch. It has its flaws. I mean, all Bond films has has their flaws. Um, where I don't really think we're gonna ever find a universally um, one hundred percent perfect Bond film, but you know, it's just this. It's such a a change in direction from Moonraker and. I'm a I'm a big defender of the majority of the '80s films, and again, I might be the only one here that doesn't. I think this is a great start to the decade. It's a great film. Um, more, you know, besides half of it looking like a grandpa, it's probably the last of his real looking like a decent Bond films for at least half of it. Mustacha, um, I think, is a bit of a better Bond girl than you two are giving credit for, even though she's not the best. She's a massive improvement over Goodhead, um, <laughs> the the um, <clears throat> the character. Um, and this has got BB and Columbo in it. I mean, that sells it for me. Like, if BB and Columbo were in Die Another Day, that's the number one movie for me in the history of James Bond movies. But um, yeah, that's for your eyes only. Um. I wouldn't say that my opinion of this has either worsened or improved on this. I, I definitely used to like this movie when I first saw it a lot more than now, despite the fact that I disliked the characters more when I originally saw it. But there are some flaws that I picked up on over the years. It's not like flaws in other Bond movies, though, where it drags it down. Like, this isn't You Only Live Twice, where the randomness of the henchman actually kills the suspense of the movie. Um, I just think the second half of this is so strong, like I said in the beginning... Melina is a good character, and I think she works well uh, if you ignore her acting. Columbo is so good in this. Uh, I don't think this is Roger Moore in his prime, but I think he still cared about the character at this point. Um, I think he still cares about it even in Octopus and a View to a Kill. But this was probably the last time that Moore really was you know, giving it all of his effort. And uh, so much about this movie works. The action scenes are phenomenal. John Glenn found a way to bring some realism and. He's still struggling a little bit trying to balance the humor with the the realism, but the movie just works on so many levels. Um, it's definitely not in the top five for me, but it, it's it's quite high up there for me still. I don't think I'll ever change my opinion on this. I, I do love this movie. Yeah, when I watched this at the end of it, I didn't know if I really liked it or really didn't like it. It's just so middle, um, and it's so, like, eh. It's like Dennis's face, really. Um, <laughs> I, there's just too much wrong with it for me. And a lot of people put this as like their number one or not top five, and that blows my mind. Obviously, it's all open to personal opinion. No one's right or wrong. But like to me, Christatos is hands down one of the worst villains in Bond history, talking main villains. Like there's maybe another one or two, but he's so unforgettable. Um he looks like a pirate, um, so forgettable, I should say, not unforgettable. Um, he's just like, what's he doing? Apparently he's a bad guy, he doesn't care about anything. He worked better as an ally, even though it was a cool plot twist. There's just not much there at all, and I do not like him. Um, Locke, Krieger, like, give me a break. Um they're just some of the worst henchmen up there with Vargas and Hans. Uh, and Locke, they spent so much time on, only for it to fall so flat. Um, and then uh, Melina, yeah, I can't give her more credit. I think she, she's hands down the dullest Bond girl ever. I love that they gave her some backstory and plot, but I just don't think it works with the actress and just how it's played. Um, and it's really one of Bond's biggest missed opportunities. Um 
I really don't like the Margaret Thatcher scene as I just talked about and the ice hockey stuff, the opening title sequence is really not my cup of tea. Um, so there's just all this stuff that lowers it a lot and then we talked about it. a parrot leads them to the end and saves the day um, and this is supposed to be bringing Bod back to Earth. Like I think our talking about it and we, like, God knows how, but we made them more sillier than Moonraker in this episode. Uh <laughs> So I don't know how we did that, but it didn't really help this film because it pointed out some of the flaws here. And BB and the trainer, like BB's kind of funny, but like kick her off the cliff with the car. No. Um, <laughs> and the Countess, again, missed opportunity. They could have done so much more there and her character could have been great. The locations, like Greece is all right. The snow stuff goes on and on like I'm going on now. Uh, but Columbo's awesome. We love Columbo. Columbo is really cool. And there are stuff I like about this. I like the cliff stuff. Um, I don't like the soundtrack as well. That's another don't like. Um, the cliff stuff's great. The climax is pretty cool. There's some cool underwater stuff. The sea battle is pretty cool. And Columbo. So it's not like there's all bad, but I'm just pointing out all this stuff that really I personally don't understand how people put it up so high but that's just my opinion it's still a good film all right just quickly breathe box yeah breathe box office um for your eyes only 12th there you go quintessential middle right now um 54 million eight hundred and twelve thousand eight hundred two dollars uh unadjusted it is above the living daylights and below never say never again um adjusted uh it moves down to 17th um, 165,424, which was just above Dr. No and just below Live and Let Die. Uh, now I'm just, I think we've got a new intro for this bit, so I'm gonna play it. Box office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. Whoa! Peter Travers, hello Peter. Oh, don't play the Peter Travers intro. Shut up, Noah. Uh, <laughs> now, this is, of course... It's not funny. ...our esteemed um, Jeremy Black-esque um, person. <laughs> he is ranked for your eyes only, funnily enough, at 12th. Uh, it's the quintessential middle film, according to Noah. Uh, he's put it just below Never Say Never Again and just above... No, sorry, just below Live and Let Die and just above... Never say never again. Um, and two spots uh, below die another day. Um, <laughs> oh, so let us now. You said that was much smugness. Go yeah. into Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang Bang. All right. Um, oh, no. Now we're <laughs> fucked on this one. I can tell you already because see warehouse battles. All right, hang on. Ice Kills last. Now Bonds, James Bonds. We had two. Um, yep. uh, I had three. three. I had two. Three. What was the third one? So we had. I think you were drunk in the car. It was it was a week and a half ago when I watched this, but I know there was three. <laughs> I had he two. Says, uh, he says he introduced. Okay, which two do you have in the car? We I write down the Bond James Bond. Well, like, not really only the, one. The car with mustache, and doesn't he say it to Mrs. Brosnan yeah. as well? Yeah, he says to her, and does he yes, also say it to BB? No. <laughs> I know he said it Bond, a third James time. Bond, and I'll buy you an ice cream. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know there's a third one. I oh, I didn't think we'd have a debate on this, because I remember even as I was watching it, I'm like, wow, there have been three Bond, James Bonds here. No. I'm saying two. Unless we can name the third, like, <laughs> which happened to me in Doctor No. Was it? 
And you were all saying, well, you have to name it, it unless we can twice, name wasn't it. You were going, yeah. No, you're out voted Colin, huh? Um, now- all right. Well, <laughs> I'm no, no. To, I, I will say this. If you can come back next week and prove it to us, I'll happily yeah. change it. Oh, it's a snake it. all over unless, again. Um, <laughs> unless you can yeah. prove it, I'm going to say All right, true. martinis, we had none. Yeah, and he was at a freaking casino. Now... Roots kiss. Wait, I had one martini. Oh, I wish I had wrote down where this was now. <laughs> uh, Colin, could you just leave? <laughs> Doesn't remember coming oh, your own party. Getting your horse. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go zero, but we're gonna put again appeal on that because when I go through the quotes, oh. I'm sure I'll find it. Take, You're gonna have to rewatch this entire film just to get. Take kiss, it to kiss, the James bang, Bond bang. Council yeah. of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um. I say zero martini. Now kisses. Now it is two. I think we all agree with two, right? I've got two, but Colin's yeah. probably but, got seven. Well, I, no, I could almost, two. but I could almost debate or count it. But BB does not. We count. don't actually see him. We see him with Marlena kissing and swimming naked. We don't see any oh, sex. Oh come on! We know it's now you're going to say he doesn't get with the main bong girl. But it's the dad and the daughter. Like they're just having family time. Um, all right. So no, we also never see him do anything with the countess either. If you're going to argue that every bond girl's out till die another day, and, and don't play the music. He actually finger banged BB, but that's another story. Now, <laughs> that was too much. That was not I me. talked about going down in her. I think we're safe now. Um, kills. Oh god, I'm just going to put it out there. I got 13, but clearly I'm wrong. I got 10, and I wrote down which one. I wrote down Colin, my 13. What, Colin, wait, what? Colin, what did you say? I have 10, and I wrote yes! down. Yes, I've got 10. Have 10? Oh, what have you got okay. 13? You would get excited if it was equal with me. <laughs> These are the ones I have. I have um, Fofeld uh, yep. beginning. I have during the raid on Cristados' ship. I have four. I mentioned earlier there wasn't any there. I misread my notes. I had four what about there. Guy? I didn't have the bike guy. Yeah, he because, shot I mean, the bike. No, through the through the window at the flower yeah, shop. Yeah, he did a backflip through a window and landed in a soft pile of flowers. He says, but he send says, these but he says leaves the lilies. Send them to the funeral. Yeah, but uh, don't you think if he were. Don't you think if he were dead, then he would there would have been like some the funeral? after Bond? <laughs> I mean, everybody saw Bond there. He said, I did not think this would be a debating one when he mentions a funeral for someone he's just killed. Okay, I'll give you that, but then we're at 11. Okay, so we'll Why, can I just stop? Why are you two debating when you've got the same number? So clearly Colin's got a kill that Noah but, doesn't count. It, it doesn't matter. You're at the same right, number. Then. It doesn't matter about the right number. It's about being right. I, okay, I well, can tell you this. I know the three that I've got extra. I know the yeah. three that well, I have extra. I have four during the raid on Christodos' ship. I had five, but I'm willing to accept four. Okay. Well, then I don't know where your other ones are because he also kills Locke. Yeah. He kills the Darth Vader guy with a bomb. Yep. Um, the henchman, when he the rope breaks, the henchman uh, gets knocked in the water. I ca- counted that because he gets eaten by a shark. I mean, it's inadvertent, but Bond, oh. the man clearly dies. Now, hang on a minute. If uh, we're counting that, you have to count the two guys that get blown up by the Lotus. The car is not a Bond. But it's Bond. Yeah, Bond didn't press a button. 
That's the difference. When Bond was holding onto the rope, he was hoping it would break and it if, killed somebody. If someone was driving your car and ran over someone but just because it's your I car don't doesn't see how we can I do not see how we cannot count the Bond blo- the car the guy's getting blown up. This is James Bond's car. He obviously has to lock it, which he knows has a self-destruct mechanism to then stop this people who get killed. But he didn't know they were going to break the window. The but he, but he knows that they're yeah. going to die if they try and break into it. So that's Bond's like mechanism to kill them. He didn't them. set it up for them to break into it. He didn't want his car to be. No, I'm, I'm happy to forego ice hockey ch- guy, but I swear that these two have to be counted. No, that's the dumbest thing ever been I'll- said on this. Show. <laughs> yeah. The dumbest thing ever like, is you being diamond off forever at number one. When it, when it blows up, Bond kind of looks at it odd and then throws away the keys. So it's almost like he's surprised even that it blew up. Even if it was his, like, that he knew this thing was on there. I mean, he had no control over them doing that. Nah, you're both shit. We're all turning on <laughs> each other in this bang bang. We had an agreement and this is the biggest argument we've had yet. <laughs> you two are shit. Get the okay. fuck off. That lotus is—that's not a bong heel. Okay, what about the the henchman with the the rope and then getting eaten by the shark? I don't remember that. Uh, I don't think. Well, I... when Bond's holding the rope, the rope breaks. That's the henchman that he's like, "Oh, just leave him," and then he gets eaten by a shark. I would say no, no. but it's also it's one a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have the guy off the, the guy on the cliff, and then Kriegler at the end. Mm. Um, I forgot to count Krieger for some reason, so I would have 11. Okay, so if if I were then to count, even though our numbers are slightly mixed up, if I were to have counted the motorcycle guy, I would have 11. So do we want to call that an agreement? Well, well I'm not that, sure about this ice logic, hockey. Do that, we have to debate this? In that logic, if we take away the two guys at the car, I have 11 too. But you but also you said the ice, the ice hockey guy. person. That was still at the same number. <laughs> I don't agree with shark guy. Did promise that you would try to make an argument for a man. The, the on huge ice. Like the guy, the huge the guy is, here is he's got dislodged vertebrae protruding into his <laughs> vessels after being slammed into a zeppelin. Look, I'm willing to accept it, at, but I didn't count. It, eleven. So I'm going with eleven. I'm putting that down. The, yeah. the big flaw is it's not about the number; it's about us getting it right. We're not getting it right. That's our logic. It's eleven. All right. Um. <laughs> I love that we're putting it as 11, even though all three of us disagree. <laughs> okay. Disagree. Um, so that brings us to a total of 144 kills, 33 kisses, <laughs> seven martinis, hashtag pending. Um, and <laughs> but, I think all three of us are going to start our own James Bond podcast. We're all Kevin McClawing this shit. Um, Bond, James Bond, uh, 13, asterisk pending. Um, <laughs> not hashtag pending, Ben. Asterix pending. Um, <laughs> asterix and oblix. All right. Now we uh-huh. now go. What the fuck? What are we into? Uh, this bit. <laughs> this is living like dying. Oh, hang on. Oh, you just ruined the intro. This bit. Oh, <laughs> it's the hole. The hole with the classic scenes. The Hall of Fame. Why am I saying you ruined the intro? Just put that in post production. <laughs> Edited <laughs> <laughs> you saying that? No, at no. all. Oh, I'm ruining the illusion. Just to make it even later. Hall of Fame. Um, fuck. What are we? Hall of Fame. Right. Um, we all agree with the um the what was what we all agreed on before. I, I don't think we all agreed ever. Oh, Colin wasn't here for <laughs> well, it. It's not our style. Time. What were we saying before? No, it was the one you and I were up there with. 
Oh, car. Yeah, that's in there. No, not car chase. Oh, car chase. Car chase. chase. Yeah. That is in there. It's a car chase. Uh, I think uh, the the mountain climbing stuff at the end definitely should be considered. And car cliff. Chuck it in. It's great. Car cliff. (laughs) And then, Noah, you mentioned that I said I wasn't quite sure. You said that you would put it up. Locks death. It's it's in there. I come on. Or that or BB. <laughs> <laughs> BB in the car. <laughs> no, yeah. well, in all seriousness, the whole ice cream scene is quite iconic. No, don't don't joke. I'm not joking. That's serious. <laughs> like, like James Bond has brought back realism. We can no longer do "Take Me Around the World One More Time" Hall of Fame. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> God. Come on. That car death is one of the most well-known and one of the coldest and coolest Bond deaths. I it would has put, to be. Yeah, I, like, I would put BB in bed over the mountain <laughs> chase at the end. You argued, you argued Goodnight in a Closet wasn't worthy, but BB in bed is? <sighs> Can we bring back Tiffany? <laughs> Can we bring in Cable? Um... <laughs> All right, here's what I say. I say... Uh, the mini uh, citrus car, the climbing with big stunts, and Bond killing Locke yeah, with the car. I'm not arguing. Those I'm not going to win with BB. Yeah, go with those or three. Or face machine. Whatever. They're fine. Um, <laughs> Although, forgive me, Q, for I... Oh, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Could be oh, no. Part. BB's more iconic than that. Shut up. Right. Okay. We're done. <laughs> Hall of Fame's over. This is going to be our longest oh, episode. What a bit of Hall of Fame. Longest... <laughs> Longest episode ever shortly. Let's go into <laughs> this. Rankings, baby. Baby. Fantastic. At least this is an individual. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Yay. Finally, my opinion will count. Um, all right. Now. No, babe, That's wrong. Change it. <laughs> no, Ben. You're not allowed to rank it there. Okay, so this is our 12th one. We're really getting to the nitty-gritty here. This is literally halfway at the time of doing this anyway. Um, I'm not going to go first. Colin, you can go first. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's save the best for last, according to Ben. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm debating between two movies here, but I think I have a pretty strong opinion. I would put this just below Thunderball. It would be very close to Thunderball for me, though. Um, and I'm debating between this and Dr. No, but I've always considered this one stronger. I think there are more issues with this movie overall than Dr. No, but I think the strong parts are much stronger, especially the second half of the movie. So I'll put this in six. So just behind Thunderball and just ahead of Dr. No. (laughs) Plot twist. Um, <laughs> we do need a sound by um, soundboard. Uh, yeah, Doctor No is my baby. It's not going above Doctor No. Um, yeah, let me have a. Look. I still yeah, I'm kind of regretting having some of them above it, but whatever. Um, I still don't know at this point. I'm debating between two spots, and people are going to be tweeting like people are going to be hating on me. But I honestly think when we watched The Man with the Golden Gun, I kind of had more fun with that. Like, 50,000 bahts and Scaramanga knickknack, like the good old kooky days. 
And I kind of did that big rant at the end where I do like this film, but there's just so much wrong with it. Like, you can't have the best Bond film with that villain and that Bond girl and those henchmen. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Not to interrupt, but Diamonds of Forever is still number two on your list with Charles Grant. Winston Kidd are awesome. Tiffany Case is awesome. Charles Grant is awesome. You said that villain. (laughs) That villain. Willard White. Well, it's not number one, is it? So, no, 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 no. Um, all right. I, I'm Stromberg is number one apparently. <laughs> oh yeah, he's pretty bad too. But at least that had jaws. That's what I'm getting at. This has nothing. The henchmen, the villains, a and the girl. Baby. Although Columbo's all. Oh. Yeah. It's got Lacey. I'm not <laughs> debating it's a bad film. I'm just saying why it can't be number one for me. So if you would let me get to my rankings, I will say <laughs> I'm going to say. Just below The Man with the Golden Gun, and people are going to be raging at me for doing that. And just above Live and Let Die. So I am putting it currently, breaking those two up, and for now, for your eyes only, we'll be at number nine, just below The Man with the Golden Gun, and fourth last at the moment. Okay. People are hating me right now. All right. My top three are not moving. My bottom... Five, six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> much leg room, <laughs> My bottom ten are not moving. There's three positions I'm thinking of here. Um, I'm putting it ahead of Diamonds Are Forever, so it's going to be in my top six. I love Man with a Golden Gun, but I don't know. There's just something about this that I like better. I just, I just something. It's BB factor. It's a Columbo factor. I don't know. So it's going at least in the top five. And I'm going to piss a lot of people off with this. And these two are going to hang up on with me. I am putting this at number four ahead of From Russia with Love. Oh. I uh, I like that you have in the top five, but ahead of From Russia with Love, that's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So I've got Spy Love Me, Honor Majesty's oh. Secret Service, Goldfinger, and then For Your Eyes Only at number four. Boom! Schooled. All right. Is that it? Are we done? Can we leave this shithole and go? <laughs> well, we've got to talk about pussy. All right. Looking ahead, we're going to talk about pussy. Um, <laughs> oh, Octo Pussy. We're not going back to Goldfinger. Um, I I think I've talked about this a bit. I have not seen this film in like a decade. I can remember little about this movie. I remember the, the plane... Um, that's about it. The clown sort of is ingrained in my memory a lot, but um, yeah, it's gonna basically be like I'm watching this for the first time because it's been that long since I've seen it. So it's kind of cool. Though. I really don't have a whole lot to add on this next bit of looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to watching it and being able to remember it. So I'm going into this an open book. Um, <laughs> maybe you're an open book. Um, slut. I am the Sheena Eastern slut going into Octopussy. <laughs> Uh, um, I have said a couple of times already that this is kind of my guilty pleasure bond, which the closer we're getting to it, the more I'm wondering whether this really should be a guilty pleasure, because I think I'm going to have a lot of the same defenses for this that I had with The Man with the Golden Gun, and that the criticisms this movie gets, I don't think are quite fair, because if you really look at this movie and remove a couple of dopey things like Bond in a clown suit or, you know... Tarzan. The name Octopussy or uh, things like that, the circus. This is, again, like For Your Eyes Only, a much more serious down-to-earth Bond. And I think that Roger Moore 
was still pretty good here. Um, he's not in his prime, but I mean, he hasn't given up on life like Sean Connery did. <laughs> I only he only lived twice. I I really love Octopussy, and I think that there's some really good characters in Octopussy that's going to be a welcome change after some of the dull ones in Fear Eyes Only. Um, and yeah, I've always been a big defender of Octopussy, and I, I have a feeling I'm going to come out of this not really looking at it as a guilty pleasure anymore. I'm hoping that. Uh, maybe we can change some people's opinions on this and see it for the great movie that it is. Um, yeah, Octopussy is one of the ones I've seen the least out of all the series, and we'll jump into why in the, in the next episode. Um, so I actually haven't seen it a huge amount compared to the last 12 we've watched, um, but I've seen it multiple times in the last 10 years, um, unlike some people. Um, but... <laughs> Jeez. That sounded like a dick, but it wasn't even a dick. It was just a you were so mean. Like, leave me alone. Yeah, but it I'm wasn't like, even leaving. meant to be. Oh, I'm sorry. That was mean. You know, my meant going. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, sorry. Um, But <laughs> Octopussy. Yeah, I think it's been firmly established that I don't like the later moors as much as I do like the earlier moors, but there is a lot of good in Octopussy and Colin talks about guilty pleasure, but I feel like it's kind of got a resurgence and people are really starting to enjoy Octopussy as one of the best. Um, I can tell you right now it's not going to be up there as one of my best. It's not in my top five, but I'm still looking forward to it. It's been a while since we've watched another one, so um, we were a bit of a hiatus, but I'm ready. My body's ready um, and it should still be a fun one. I still enjoy it, and I'm sad that we're nearing the end of more. All right, well, there'll be more, more, Roger Moore. <laughs> um, coming up with our Octopussy recap, this is for your eyes only. Thank you for <laughs> sitting through this, and if you sat through all this, I apologise that I can't give you any of your life back. Um, subscribe to us on iTunes. We have that, uh, apparently. And um, <laughs> you can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and um, send us your comments, your uh, emails, your counts on the kiss kiss bang bang count um you know give us your best impersonation of mustacha um i don't know like do whatever you want to it's um always good to hear from uh linda and Catherine. so we uh <laughs> will be coming back very very shortly uh for octopussy until then uh my name is ben type 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 click 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 end podcast i wanna win a gold medal Yay! And I am uh, Colin Hildeng, uh, and rest in peace, Lisi Kreigler, and live long shame to Paul. I'm Noah, and somehow we made a more silly episode than when we covered Moonraker. Um, so it's only up or down from here, but Fear Eyes Only was still fun. Goodbye. And the conclusion that I wanted to say about Sheena Easton, I had to edit out. Good night. Oh, by the way, we haven't been properly introduced, Malina. My name is Bond, James Bond. License to kill or be killed. Courage is no match for an unfriendly shoe. I trust you had a pleasant fright. <laughs> but we are only five men. And one woman. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Let's putting it mildly, 007. She'll have our guts for garters. Hello. Why don't you try the identigraph? Mm. Yes, sir. Mm. Hair, eyes, nose, 
not a nose, not a banana, Q. Lips, stop. That's him. And 007, try not to muck it up again. I'll do my best, sir. <laughs> Stinging in the rain. That's not funny, 007. No, thank you, Shannon. You could go, I'll lock up. <laughs> I think you're wonderful, baby, but I don't think your Uncle Ari would approve. Him? He thinks I'm still a virgin. Yes, well, you get your clothes on, I'll buy you an ice cream. Your eyes only die. Mr. Bond, you have what the Greeks call thrasos, guts. All I can say is don't grow up anymore. The opposite sex would never survive it. I want to win the gold medal. We all want that. I know what you want, but you're too old for me. Dennis and I look forward to meeting you. Give us a kiss. Give us a kiss. Well, really, Mr. Bond. Oh, oh, oh. Bond!